0: Shem Hashem, Torah Great to be here again, Baruch Hashem We had a uh, very lively shiur last week We uh, got to, I think just a live lecture Reached over 3,000 people Baruch Hashem, and then many, many more are Watching the lectures, learning Musar Getting closer and closer to Hashem And running away from sin And one of the main things that is important today as it always was is for us to run away from sins as you're going to learn from the parashot when we get to Mount Sinai Chazal tells us that when Hashem said the first two commandments the entire nation died everyone died Hashem said the first commandment Chazal says everyone died the Kdusha of Hashem Iqbalah's voice was too high for everyone, even though everyone got a level of prophecy, where the lowest level of prophecy was still higher than the prophet Ezekiel. The lowest level was still higher than the prophet Ezekiel, but still not holy enough to hear Hashem speak. And also one of the things that we learned from from Chazal is that when Hashem spoke or when the sounds were made, Am Yisrael was able to see the sound <clears throat> How do you see sound? In some of our previous lectures We talked about Torah, Torah and science And scientists have actually proven That there is a way to see sound Especially when referring to the Hebrew alphabet To the holy language But nonetheless Am Yisrael saw Hashem's voice Heard Hashem's voice It was too much for them to bear They all died Hashem brought back the dead and said the second commandment. And then they died again. Hashem brought back the dead again. So everyone always asks, wait, it says one of the 13 principles of faith that the Rambam put together is you have to believe in the resurrection of the dead. And some people, for whatever reason or another, they haven't studied enough Torah and got closer and closer to Hashem, so they have a tough time believing this one thing. Say, it's hard for me to believe that Hashem is going to bring back the dead. Is it easy to believe that every single one of you came from nothing, from a little drop? It's easy to believe that? At least the dead has bones. But nonetheless, people think that it never happened before. As a matter of fact, it's happened several times in history. These are just the first two times. So after this, after the second time, Am Yisrael says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you go talk to him, we'll do, and then we'll listen. Whatever he tells you, we'll do it, and then you tell us what we actually need to do. But whatever he says, we'll do it automatically. By default, we're putting everything on autopilot. Everything Hashem says, we're gonna do it. And then we're gonna understand, we're gonna learn the Mishnayot, the Halachot, we're gonna figure out what to do, what's right, what's left, the details, but just let him know what we're going to do. Why? Because if he continues talking, we're all going to die. How do they know they're going to die? Because they already died twice. They all felt the pain of death twice. That's also one of the things that Chazal tell us, that at the end of times, whoever is fortunate enough to be alive at the time of the Mashiach is also going to have to feel the pain of death. They're going to be brought back, Bezat the if But everyone has to feel the pain of death at some point. It's a form of repentance to some extent. To Some sins, for example, like Chilul Hashem, it is the main part of the repentance. You have, you know, the Chilul Hashem cannot be repented through any other way other than death, unfortunately, and obviously other things that are beyond this world. But nonetheless, we told Moshe, please go, you talk to him, we're going to do... Leave us alone. We don't want to die anymore. So what does Moshe say? If Moshe should have said, you know what? You're right. Let me calm him down a little bit. We're going to talk one-on-one. What's the big deal? He can just tell you in a little calmer voice. What does Moshe say? Moshe says something that each and every single one of us has to remind ourselves every day, every day, Especially before we go learn from a rabbi. Especially before we go and open a book and learn Torah, because all of us are obligated to learn Torah every day. Now, if you're going to learn, but nothing is going to change, whether you're learning from a book or you're learning from a rabbi, if everything stays the same, if nothing in your heart changed at all, there's no pinch, there's no doubt, there's no question. There's no something. Did you really fulfill your mission? Well, according to Moshe, you didn't. Because Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael "Relax, don't worry. The only reason that Hashem is scaring you is so you don't sin. Meaning, he's intentionally killing you. It's not like it's like by mistake. There's no mistakes." He didn't accidentally kill you and then he had to bring you back. He's intentionally killing you. He's intentionally scaring you to death. Literally. Because the only way you're going to run away from sin is if you're scared. Asher Adam, mifachet Praiseworthy is the man that's always scared. Shlomo HaMelech <inaudible> says, you're scared all the time? Wow. Shecha. <inaudible> I mean, scared. The guy is scared of his own shadow. Is is a great no? Not scared of your own shadow. Scared of ghosts? No. Scared of a little monster behind your bed? No. What are you scared of? He's scared of Hashem it Barach? Every time before I do something, I think, what does Hashem think? Before I take out the money for I'm about to mitzvah. Somebody gives staka they already think they are gvir. Uh, think <speaking> they <in> are you gave the homeless guy $3, buddy. Relax. You're not a Baal Chesed. You gave him $3. You know, it's, okay, it's $3. But you know, uh, guy walks around, yeah, bal Chesed. I did, did a mitzvah on the way to work today. What would you do? I gave the guy half my sandwich. Yeah, you were throwing it on anyway. Fine, let's be real. Come on. Let's, did you give him something that hurt you a little bit? Did you give him the extra money that you're going to spend... And you gave it to him instead? Did that hurt a little bit? Or did you give him money that pretty much you forgot about already? You know, like lost money. What's lost money? You know, you do laundry. And once in a while you get lucky. And you get the pants back. And it's like 20 bucks and you forgot in the pocket. It's the greatest 20 bucks in the world. It's like, oh, I forgot $20. Or $2 or $5, whatever it is. You're excited about it. It's lost money, but you forgot about this $20. So is your staka like this lost money? Like, eh, you forgot about it. It's not really that big of a idea. You gave the guy 20 bucks for CNEs. You gave the guy 20 bucks for whatever, for some uh, thing. Is it that kind of staka? Then you're not exactly a bal It's Chazak baruch. It's a mitzvah. But let's, let's call it spade to spade. If you're going to give something and you want to really fulfill the full mitzvah, Gotta hurt a little bit. Not chasuva shalom put you in a homeless shelter or put you in a situation where you can't uh, have food for your kids, but it's not supposed to be so comfortable that it's like forgotten money. The same thing goes with every single mitzvah, especially when it comes to learning Torah. If you're gonna learn from a rabbi and you're with the rabbi for five years, ten years, twenty years, but you're still the same as what you started. You, my friend, have been wasting your time. If you're reading a book, like it's Harry Potter, it doesn't matter who wrote it. It could be Rabbi Akiva, it could be Moshe Rabbeinu, it could be whoever. If it's not affecting you, there's something wrong, either with you or with the book. The point of your Torah is to build a foundation. And that foundation must have Yirat Shamayim. So when Moshe Rabbeinu was telling Am Yisrael, Hashem is only scaring you so you don't sin, He wasn't just referring to them. He's referring to us. Hashem is constantly sending you messages, whether it's Chash shalom sickness, Chash Shalom, somebody stole money from you, you lost something, you got a flat tire, somebody ran into you, everything. He's trying to get your attention, he's talking to you. And since we're not all Moshe Rabbeinu, or even his shoes, he's not going to talk to us out of a, a burning bush. He's talking to us through our life. The closer you are to Hashem barak, the easier it is to feel... Like he's watching, and he's taking care of you, and he's talking to you. The further you are from Hashem, the more you think you're doing everything. I'm making the money, I'm making the speech, I'm learning Torah, it's my knowledge, it's my skill set, it's my learning skills, it's my this, it's my looks, it's my this, my, 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 meaning you're alone. You're alone. The more you think you're doing, the more you have to realize that you are far from Hashem. And the way to get closer and closer to Hashem is to build a solid foundation. And the Espirkei Avot series, as Hashem would always have it, it always comes at the perfect time. Everything that we learn is always at the perfect time. In Mishnah Bet Yud Gimel, as I told you guys, sometimes you're going to look at the Mishnayot, even though it's the same chapter, uh, chapter two. The number of Mishnayot changes because there's different orders. It's the same order, just different numbers, because some of the uh, the sages broke single Mishnayot into two or three, and some made it one long one. So sometimes the Mishnah within it is a different number, but in Perkei but it's the same language, same words, same everything. So in my book, it's Yud Gimel, which is 13. And it says the following. Amar Laim. Tzuru Ezoi Derech Tova, Shid Bakba Adam, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Ain Tova, Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Chavir Tov, Rabbi Yose Omer, Tov. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Aroetan Olad, Rabbi El Azar Omer, Lev Tov. Translation. We continue with Rabban Yochanan talking about his students, and in this case, he's actually talking to his students. And he's asking them to teach the rest of us something. So he, referring to Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, said to them, to the five disciples, Go out and discern. Which is the proper path to which men should cling? So now the sages respond with their own ideas, and we'll go over each one, by Hashem. Rabbi Eliezer, which is referring to Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, Rabbi Eliezer says, A good eye. A good eye is a good trait to have. Rabbi Joshua says, A good friend. Good friend, important to have. Rabbi Yosi says, A good neighbor. Rabbi Shimon says, one who considers the outcome of a deed, and Rabbi Elazar says, a good heart. So he said to them, meaning Rabban Yochanan said to the students, I prefer the words of Rabbi Elazar, Ben Arach, the last one, which said, a good heart, I prefer his words to your words. For your words are included in his words. Meaning that everything that all of you said is included in the one thing that he said, which is a good heart. Okay. So first and foremost, what is Rabban Yochanan really asking the sages to do? So first he's telling them, to go out and discern. What do you mean? What is he saying to them? Go go out. Where are they going to? Going to the mall? Going to the supermarket? Where are they going? Usually we learn Torah. call El Midrash At home Where are we going? He says, no, no, no. Go out into the real world where you're not surrounded by Tamidim Chachamim where everyone is reading the same book the same Mishnah, the same Torah, same everything. Everyone to a Tamit Chacham. It's very easy to be religious inside Bed Midrash. It's very easy to be religious inside your house. In your in the house all day. It's very easy to be religious. You have the kippah, you have the tzitzit, you can look at Kameh In reality, you're in your pajamas. But you're looking at Kameh Very easy. No, no, no. says, no, no. Go out, go out there. And use that Torah that you've learned to learn and teach based on your learning as well as based on what's out there. Where is Amisal failing? For example, tonight we're failing at remembering to turn on the air conditioner. I'm hot, I'm always hot. I'm always hot, hot hot-blooded. Do oh, you think those screams come for free? Yeah. So Rabbi Yochanan is telling his sages go out there you possess some serious knowledge, you've learned the Talmud you've learned the Mishnayot you've learned all the secrets part of the Torah but now it's time to go teach in the Gemara, Brachot, it talks about how important it is to have a Rav. To have someone that you stick to. Now, There's a couple of different Rabbis. There's a Rabbi that you go with as far as a Posek. If you're a Sephardic, for example, most people today go by Ravavadiyah. Zechot Sadikli Vacha. That's what you go by. He goes by, obviously, the Shulchan Aruch, and so on. The Ashkenazis have their own G'dolah g'dol, Adol, the Sephardics have their G'dolah Adol. So you, have, you go by a major posek. But generally, when you go by a major posek, you can't just go with him for what's convenient to you, and you go with somebody else what's convenient to you, like some people are doing with, with the whole issue of wigs. We're not going to go into details with it because I think we've covered already enough about wigs, but in short, unfortunately, this issue with wigs has become such a big problem that some Sephardis have decided to use the Ashkenazi heter, even though the Ashkenazi heter is questionable to begin with, because obviously no one in history has ever permitted the wigs of today, the wigs that were permitted look like wigs. Not like real hair. But nonetheless, the ones that actually gave the permission were Ashkenazi Puskim. There was a couple of Ashkenazi Puskim that actually said it's allowed. Fine. But not the Sephardis. Safaris Sephardis didn't say it's allowed. So sometimes you have people and you see Sephardi women wearing wigs. And you ask them, based on what? You say, oh, so-and-so said this. And -and so-and-so is Ashkenazi. Like, oh, but you're not Ashkenazi. And your husband is even less Ashkenazi than you are. He's from Iraq. He's from Syria. He was born in the same desert I was. He's in Tripoli. He's, He's nothing to do with Ashkenazi. No, no, but we hold to him. Okay, do you know the rest of his books? Do you hold to the rest of the stuff that he taught? Do you not eat rice on Pesach? Do you have all different other Allah? Do you follow everything else? No, no, just this one thing. Just this one thing is not allowed, my friend. Because then you make the Torah into a soup. And you're not allowed to do that. So you have a rabbi, that's your posek. That's who you're going with. You have the ramai, you have the shulchan and so on. Then you have a rabbi that's going to be like your... Speaker, people that like to listen to speeches, they like to watch Rav Mizrahi, Rav Elohim and if anyone likes to watch me. I'm assuming at least you guys like to watch me because you're here. Um, and of course all the amazing people on the internet. But nonetheless you have people that want to be motivated. Some people watch us, some people watch other people, but you have this speaker that gets you up and running. Gets you alive, gets you close, you know, gets you closer to Hashem. motivate you, and then you have the rabbi, and that's good. You obviously have to have a rabbi that motivates you, and then you have the rabbi that's your keilah rabbi, and that's the guy that you're going to go to, usually on a day to day basis with your day to day problems. Hey, Kvodarav, what time does Shabbat come in? Hey, Kvodarav, what's the uh, laws in regards to uh, the you know is this tefillin pasul? Is it uh, is it kosher? it's a trok pasu, it's a trok kosher basic alachot, day-to-day stuff some people even use us to do that as well, but the point is is that you you have a rabbi in front of you that's your day-to-day rabbi now each and every single one of these rabbis has a different role but the last two the one that's a speaker and the one that's next to you on a regular basis you have to be able to connect to they have to Tweak your heart a little bit. Put a little electricity into your spiritual heart. Because if you're listening to one of my speeches and you're bored to death, stop listening. I'm asking you, please, don't listen to me. If I'm boring you, don't listen to me. If you're going to sleep, as soon as you hear the sound of my beautiful voice, please stop listening. Listen to someone else. Don't waste your time. You don't owe me anything. You owe something for yourself. Listen to Torah you want to listen to anybody else, doesn't matter who you listen to. As long as it gets you better. It's a fix. Fixes your soul up. Puts all the pieces together. Same thing with your local Rav. If you don't feel like you can connect him to such an extent where you can be honest with him and pretty much he thinks you're a tzaddik and in reality you're a big lasha, and you're not really willing to tell him. You're not really willing to tell him that you drove to shul. You're not really willing to you know, on Shabbat I'm talking about. You know, you drove to Shul and Shabbat, you're not willing to tell him about that. You're not willing to tell him that you don't have any kosher or anything in your house. You're not willing to tell him the truth. He's not really your Rav. He's just a Rav. He's not your Rav. A Rav that's in your kila, you have to be able to talk to him. Be honest with him. And according to the Gemara, you have to have, the same way you have Yirat Shamayim. Your fear of Hashem, you have to fear your Rav. You have to be scared of your Rav. Where do we learn this from? Rabbi Akiva. One of the sages found that every single time the word et, which is and. Alef uh, taf. Every time et appears in a Torah, it's to teach us an additional law. So, for example, when it says, we sp- honor your father and your mother, it could say, it should have said technically, honor your parents. Not honor your father and your mother. We know that according to Torah, you could only have a father and a mother. You can't have a father and a father like this, this Sodom and Gomorrah we live in today. You can't have a mother and a mother. It's father and mother. So you should say, you know It's one word Why does it say It's an extra word here So Chazal teaches us That Ve'et means You also must honor Your older brother You have an older brother You have to honor him also But then They got to you have to fear Hashem. You have to honor Hashem. And there's an it right before it. And the sage was stuck. He didn't know what to do. He says, maybe everything I thought, the 13,000 times the word it appears in the Torah, approximately, don't quote me on the number, 13,000 times it appears, it's maybe I just made it up because one is missing one he doesn't know what it means he says ah you know what it says et Hashem who else are you going to fear more than Hashem as if something is bigger than Hashem as if something is even equal to Hashem as if we are going to fear like Hashem he says he told all of his students this is his lifelong work his lifelong work he says everything I taught you until now is wrong cancel it Imagine what kind of Yilat Shemayim you have to have to say, listen, my whole life's work is babkes. Throw it out in the garbage. It's not worth anything. Why? Because it's one mistake. It's one mistake. I don't know. I don't have a chidush on this et. On this one word. In the entire Torah, I don't have a chidush. So everything I've taught you till now, it must have come just from my mind and not really from the Torah. Not really from Moshe Rabbeinu Me'asanai. And I can't give you anything from my own mind. It must be from Moshe Rabbeinu. It must be verified... By the sages before us. It must have an agreement amongst the Chachamim. You can't just become Rashi like everybody decides to be today. People start learning Gemara. Say, oh, yeah, I started learning Gemara a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Yeah, great. So, okay, well, you know, you look at their Gemara. There's no Pirushim. They're just reading the Gemara. I'm like, oh, where, where's the, how, how do you know what you're reading? Commentary. No, no, I, I don't read commentary. Let me know. read commentary. How do you know what you're doing? But no, I understand. You understand? What do you understand, though know, You know Aramaic, you know Hebrew, you know to that extent, you understand? And so I asked him some questions. They barely know how to do, do Neti in the right way. But everybody wants to be Rashi. Everybody wants to write a book. No one has enough honor for the Torah. There's this one Rasha who got, was put on Kherim Oh, the Wrote some books. Not even worth mentioning his name. Wrote a book. Mamas, full of Kfirah. Full of Kfirah. Full of heresy to such an extent that the G'dolei Adol put him on Keren. And he would say, you know, Rav Shach thinks this. And I think this. Like he... In essence, what he's saying is that Rav Shach is here, and I'm here. Like, he's at the same level as Rav Shach. As if he's like the Rav Shach's shoe nail, like his shoe is, is, is anything. You're comparing yourself to Rav Shach. You just got out of diapers 15 years ago. No one has any kabut for the rabbanim, for chazal, for nothing. And that's the chidush. That's where Rabbi Akiva came and he said, Ve'et Hashem doesn't mean there's someone as great as Hashem. But it does mean that Hashem expects you to honor and fear your rabbi like you fear Hashem. You have to. Because the only way you're not going to sin is if you have fear. The only way you're going to tell the rabbi the truth, listen, Kodahav, you know what? I'm sorry, I violated Shabbat. My Yetzirah got so big, I played with my phone on Shabbat. I didn't drive, I didn't smoke, I didn't cook, but I played with my phone on Shabbat. What should I do? How do I do tshuva? If you have a real connection with rav, you're going to tell him. If you don't, you're going to pretend like a tzaddik. Hey, rav, yes, Shabbat was amazing. I felt such holiness. You were on the beach. What holiness? You were doing a barbecue on Shabbat. see sured the every two seconds. You're destroying your, your, your Ulam Abba. It's, oh, Shabbat. I love Shabbat for the with the quarter keeper that you barely put on your head. So you have to be, you have to respect your rav. You have to respect him enough to tell him the truth. And that's one of the things that we're missing. So Gemara Masechet B'Achot, page 63B says, not only must you have a rav, but if you actually want to learn from him, You want to learn this Torah. How are you going to get to be a Rav? How are you going to get to be a Talmud Chacham B'Chlav? It must have Mesirut Nefesh to such an extent that you're willing to kill yourself to learn Torah. It's not going to come with a coffee and a cake and you're learning with one leg over the other. You want to become a Talmud Chacham? You want to be connected to Hashem? You want to have full Emunah even when there's no money in the bank? Requires Mesirut Nefesh. So Rabban Yohanan is telling us first and foremost, my students, my dear students, you've learned, you've honored me, great, it's time for you to move on. It's time for you to teach. Because as the Gemara, Maseret Avodah Zarah says, someone that learns Torah without an intention to ever teach it to anyone, not to a Ka'al, not to his family, not to his children, he just wants to keep it to himself. It's like someone who doesn't have a God. To that extent, to that extent, the Gemara says, Why? It's Because you're supposed to learn Torah in order to learn from Hashem. Learn the midot of Hashem. Learn the character traits of Hashem in order for you to emulate Him. Now if you're going to learn Torah, but you're not going to learn to emulate Hashem, you're not going to learn His character traits... What are you learning, Bichlal? What are you doing with this Torah? So the first thing that you know about Hashem is that He only gives. He doesn't take anything. Why? Because He's perfect. He has everything already. He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need your mitzvot. doesn't need your Torah. doesn't need your tzaka. He doesn't need anything. He's perfect. So in essence, Hashem always gives. So if you're learning Torah, you're taking from Hashem. You're taking the Torah. You're taking the greatest thing there is in this world. The least you could do is share it. The least you could do. So, Rabban Khanan says, You now have to go share it and teach us how can someone go on a proper path to which men can cling. What does it mean? Here, in Midrash Moel tells us that Rabban Yochanan is saying, please tell us what's the best way to live. What is a purposeful life course? Not necessarily the purpose of life, but how do I live life? How do I live? So in essence, this Mishnah is a self-help book. This is a self-help book. You want to have a purposeful life? Here you go, you have this Mishnah. You don't have to pay $40,000 for Matthew Kelly. You get it for free today. And from a Jew. Baruch oh, Hashem. So, Rabban Yohanan wants to give you a self-help book for you to know how to have a purposeful life, how to wake up in the morning and be excited. How to wake up in the morning and be confident. How to... Go about your day and know that you actually have a reason to live and not be like many miskinim in the world today that really don't want to live and are waiting to die. Sometimes Chash Shalom even trying to die intentionally. So Rabbi Yochanan is trying to teach us something very, very critical. the reason why he's telling us to go out there into the world and not do it in the yeshiva says, listen, when you're surrounded by tamidim chachamim kulanu nevonim, kulanu tzadikim, everyone's great, everyone knows how we're going to really live, okay, you can't just you know, this is only applies to tamid chacham but not all of the midot that are good for the beta midrash are good for the marketplace. For example, to be jealous in a marketplace is a horrible, terrible midah. To such an extent, they say someone as jealous will not come, will not be resurrected in tchiatamitim. It's to that extent, why? Because in essence, the root of jealousy is Kfirah. The root of jealousy is heresy. How so? You're jealous of another person because you think that what he has technically should be given to you. Which in essence, what you're really saying, the real foundation of what you're saying is that v'shalom, Hashem made a mistake. He gave to him and not to you. So the root of jealousy is kfirah, it's, it's heresy. You're not allowed to be jealous. But, to be jealous and envious in a beta Midrash, about someone's Torah that's the goal you have to be because the only way you're going to be a Talmud chacham is if you're jealous about the real Talmud chacham. the only way you're going to be able to even be anything in your life is if you want to be, be Rav Steinin. if you want to be Rav Steinman if you want to be a serious Talmud chacham. it's the only way you have a chance to even be a Talmud forget chacham, Talmud why? Because you're going to know that every single one of these serious tamidei chachamim, they all have one thing in common. Mesirut nefesh for the Torah. No one was just born with knowledge and didn't have to work for it. You read the bio of Rav Vadia, you read the bio of Rabbi Zilber, you read the bio of any of these, any of them, anybody, pick one. First of all, every page makes you do tshuva. You think about the real experience they had to go through, the real mesilut nefesh they had to go through to earn their Torah, I don't know if you were able to survive a week in their shoes. I know I wouldn't be able to survive a week in their shoes. Not that I'm higher than you or anything, but it's, it's amazing to me. Someone doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't sleep, doesn't, not, doesn't care about anything but Torah. Nothing, completely disconnected from the real world. There is no real world in their eyes. Torah is their world. So if we want to be a serious Talmud, first thing on the resume we must have a check next to, Messiud Nefesh. No mesirut Nefesh, no Torah. Maybe you'll learn some Torah. Maybe you'll know a few you are Lachod, You'll be a decent Jew. You'll be a kosher Jew. You'll have his Hashem Olam Abba. But Talmud Chacham, you're not going to be only way you're going to be telling, is Nefesh. learning when everyone's sleeping. Praying when everyone's sleeping. Learning and praying when everyone else is so-called having fun and watching the Super Bowl. Mesirut Nefesh. Constantly sacrificing everything and anything you can to learn Torah. Alva yeleinu, Hashem. But again, he's telling us, you want to go give life advice? What I just said doesn't apply to everyone. Because not everyone is going to be a Talmud Chacham. Not everyone even knows that they should want to be a Talmud Chacham. In reality, if you know any righteous person in the world would have their wish, they would say, I wish Am Yitzhak would just be kosher and that's it. Just keep Shabbat, keep mitzvot. They're all need to be I'll Alvai. But in reality, if we could just get all to just keep mitzvot, that's already, Mashiach is going to come the next day. But not everybody actually understands that the number one ambition they should have in life is to be a tamidichacham. So since even back then, over 2,000 years ago, people didn't know. Rabbi Yochanan is telling the sages... Go out there and give us advice about how everyone should live. Not just the people in the Kola that know that the only thing that's really meaningful in life is Torah. Everyone. The one at the marketplace, the one that sells fish. The one that fishes the fish. The one that cleans the fish. All of them. All the regular people. The guy that has oil on his hands all the time. All of them give us life advice that applies to everyone Okay, this is you'll see, as we'll learn today that every single one of these things, I mean, each one of the topics we're going to talk about by itself can be 15 to 20 shiurim can be at least at least 30 or 40 different self-help books but here we go Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Ain Tova. Rabbi Eliezer says, A good eye. So, Chazal is explaining to us that each one of these character traits will serve as a foundation. To get someone close to Hashem to such an extent that it'll always bring him back even if he falls. It's always something that he can use to build on to get to the next level. Because mitzvah goreret mitzvah, one mitzvah leads to another one, just like one avirah leads to another one. But in a the reason why it says yidbak he should cling on to is because each one of us every day when we live in this world we have to make a decision of how we're gonna run our day and which part of us is gonna control us is it gonna be excuse me is it gonna be the material our body our physical or is it gonna be our spiritual is our number one priority today food and exercise and having enough gel in our hair to make sure that everybody knows that I have this new hairdo that Little Wayne has or whatever one artist has? Or is it going to be I got to wake up, certain time to go pray, to connect to Hashem, I have to learn, I have to learn about Hashem. Who is Hashem? How can I connect to Him today? How can I serve Him today? Which part of us is going to control? Because in reality... Both of these things are in us at all times. As long as we're in this world, we have both. They have to coexist. Our decision every day is to is really going to determine which one's going to run our day. The higher level you get as far as closeness to Hashem, the easier it is to see that your spiritual is conquering. Now how is your spiritual going to conquer? Are we becoming some type of... Uh, Spirit? No. When you get to a point, which is like many of the Hasidim and many of the people that really are serious about Hashem, the real Hasidim, not the people that you know just have a long beard and a hat. Real Hasidim, real people that are clinging to Hashem, they use every single thing they do in their life as a way to connect him. When they eat, they're not really thinking about the food. They're thinking about the kavanah they're going to have on the blessing before they eat the apple. When they drink, they're not drinking just because, oh, I need to drink. They're drinking because I need to have energy and I need to have the strength so I can read Gemara. That's why the closer you get to Hashem, the more you lose your taste buds. And that's why there's very famous stories of Rabbi and, and some others, where by mistake some of them have eaten soap without knowing. There's a story about Rabbi Vadya, one time he came home and uh, he just grabbed something to eat and the next morning his wife looked at the big pen, said it's still full, there's nothing, you know, he didn't touch it, why didn't you eat? He goes, no, I ate yesterday. And she found out he ate the soap. He's so disconnected from this world, he didn't really, he thought it was a piece of bread, he just didn't pay attention. He just needed food to survive, so he go back to Torah. now again, it's not a sin to enjoy this world it's not a sin to enjoy food, it's not a sin to, you know, enjoy the world, you can have a big house, you can have a nice car, you can have nice things but is it running your life? and that's what it says that's what it means when it says you should cling to it Cling to it meaning you should make it a foundation must be one trait that each one of us have that's makes us a decent human being. now everyone always says, listen, you know, my friend, Yeah, he doesn't really keep anything, but he's a good guy. He doesn't keep any mitzvah, but he's a good guy. What makes him a good guy? And usually people say the same thing. He's generous, or he's funny, you know, makes people laugh. It's a very good character trait to have. Uh, you know, he's, uh, I don't know, he's smart. I don't know, there's different things that people say about people. And, uh, it's great. It's good to have a good character trait. It's necessary. But what Chazal is telling you here is that that one character trait that you have, usually there's one that you're amazing in. There's probably a few that you know. There's probably a few that you're good at. Maybe you're generous and you're smart. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you're uh, funny and you don't really get angry quickly. It's great. But you're stingy. You give $18 to the, uh, to the guy for staka, you suffer for a week. You're like, oh, kapata avonot, Hashem, what kind of sins have I made I have to give this tzotaka? Ah, ilano, ilano. The guy gives $18, he wants to kill himself. So yeah, so it's good that he doesn't get angry. It's good that he's smart. It's great. But the fact that he's stingy means he has a little bit of a little bit of nasty things on him. He has to fix it. A little of lichluch. So, but you have to use that one character trait and build on it. So first and foremost, every one of us knows something that we're good at. Something that we are good at. People compliment us for it. They say, oh, yeah, you Sonny, you're very creative. You know, a hey, uh, you are smart. You are this. You are, you know, people always tend to tell you certain things. Or you feel about yourself. Listen, I may not be this, I may not be that, I may not be this, but I know that I am X, whatever that is. Start learning about that Midah. Start learning about that character trait and really start comparing yourself and where you are with this character trait to the ideal situation. You start learning that you're not as good as you think, first of all. But even more so, you can build on it. It's much easier to build on a foundation than on nothing. So start building that one. Start developing. If you're a extra funny I don't necessarily recommend start learning jokes but you get my point start learning how to use humor in a positive way that's going to improve people's lives and not just make fun of people start using your intellect to learn holy things instead of Torah the Hashem So build on the character trait that you have until you get to a point where you feel very, very confident that this is a character trait. You are as good as you can be. Then move on to the next one. Then move on to the next character trait that you know you're terrible in. You're a typical Israeli that gets angry as soon as a uh, you realize that your flies open. As soon as your kid gets in the way of you leaving the house, you get angry. As soon as your wife says something you can't hear it, you get angry. So you, get a, you're, you have an anger problem. That's the one you have to work on next, my friend. Why? Because if we leave this world, without working on that midah, we're going to show up to Shema and say, oh yeah, you're the idol worshipper from, uh, from Boko Raton. You got angry every day. Every time you get angry, it's considered idol worship. You got a problem. So you have to start working on anger. How do I stop being angry? It's very, very difficult. But you have to work on it. And so on and so forth. But the chidush here is that Chazal is telling us, Rabbeinu Yonah and Mary are telling us that the perfection in one area is preferable to partial success in multiple areas. Meaning, you perfect one midant, it's much better than you being decent at a bunch of them which is a completely opposite of what I've ever learned in my life from self-help books and other things they usually tell you you should be a, you should know a little bit about everything a lot of, a lot of people or I say many people pretend like they're smart how? first of all they use big words they don't really know what they mean but they use big words so sometimes, what do I do to learn these big words? I've actually had employees like this, and people that have come to my door, and they use these big words, and I ask them, "What do you mean?" Because I don't know. And they explain it to me, and you know, sometimes I actually did know, or sometimes I'll just check, and it doesn't mean that. Um, but they what they do is because they are trying to sound smart, they start learning the dictionary. Instead of you know learning it from a book, they learn the dictionary. It's not exactly the ideal way of learning big words you know just learn big words that people use but nonetheless many people try to or feel like they're even smart because they know a lot of different subjects but a little bit about a lot of them so they get all the conversation and this is actually very common amongst the current generation the millennial millennials there's you know there's a wealth of information on the internet every millennial every young kid you know spends eighty percent of their day in the internet and they read a bunch of different things. So they feel like they know everything. Because they know a little bit about everything. They can hold a conversation for, you know, 15 minutes, an hour, about everything. But if you ask them any skills, real skills that they have, many of them don't. Have any skill sets. You ask them if they can, you know, wake up and be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning, many of them can't. So it's better to think like the Torah. Torah is telling you, first, be a master of one. Instead of being a jack of all trades, you have to be a master of one. Excel one major character trait. Why? Why this one character trait? Because of the whole concept and teaching that we got from Mount Sinai, which is, mitzvah goevet mitzvah. Once you have a character trait that's strong, that's the foundation of that's going to encourage you to build another one. Because now that you've excelled the midah of money, you have zero desire for money. You care less. To you, it's purely paper. To you, it's purely a hammer, like a tool. Someone needs money, you don't have, You don't negotiate. Just talk, oh, this is what it is, sounds fair, fine. Khadakabo, good luck to you. Whatever I deserve, a saddle is going to give me. You're not wasting valuable Torah time negotiating with people. You're not wasting valuable Torah time searching to save $3. You know that whatever you deserve, Hashem is going to give you. And in reality, it's just money. The guy says he wants 400 you give him 400 okay, so you can get it for 380 Okay, so you can get it for 420 But who cares? It's money, it's tool. Okay, so I could smash the nail this way, or I could smash it that way. It's going to get there. Fine, let's just do it. Move on, move on, move on, it's just paper. It's not something you're connected to. You're not constantly thinking about it, talking about it. You're not making your life's decisions because money is such a you know big yetzara in your life. Oh yeah, you want to have a uh, you want to get tefillin? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Let's. Uh, I need tefillin us do tshuva. Okay, great. So I'll get you tefillin. Uh, which one do you want? Oh, they cost money. Uh, yeah, I mean we're not really at a level where you know we get money from shemaim or tefillin from shemaim. I mean, they do. People make these. It takes a year to make a tefillin. You want to get a decent tefillin? It's going to cost you some money. I mean, I don't know. A little bar mitzvah boy is going to buy four five hundred dollars tefillin. Someone that's a grown up usually spends thousand two thousand on a serious pair of tefillin. You want to get the bar mitzvah boy's four hundred dollars tefillin? am I know, mean, you're thirty five years old. You shouldn't really be getting a four hundred dollars pair of tefillin unless you absolutely have no money. But if you have a regular job, you make sixty seventy thousand dollars a year you should spend a little bit more than $400 on tefillin. It is your direct line to Hashem. I mean, let's let's, let's let's start thinking about it. It's not a beeper. You spend $800 on your phone without asking questions. You stand online for a week to get the newest iPhone for $1,000. But tefillin, oh, come on, $1,000, but... Do you have something cheaper? Yeah, I have something cheaper, but... 30 years old, buddy. You made $150,000 last year. What's wrong with you? So, if money controls your life, you have a problem. You have a serious, serious problem. Somebody tells you, listen, we're raising money for some type of chesed, for kiruv, for helping people, for this, for thought whatever it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you give $20, like it's like, a, uh, like you just gave your lung. What about the $400,000 portfolio you have? Why it's all in Google? Take $20, tweak a few thousand dollars out of it. You can't take the money with you. When you're so close to money, it'll be very hard for you to give it. Why? Because if you love money, you're never going to want to give it. No person in history that loved money was ever generous. At least not for the right reasons. So now the next question should be, how do you explain all of these people that are rich and, you know, they love money more than anybody because they work even though after they have a billion dollars they still work how do you explain that they give so much? it's a good question the real answer is there's a benefit to give there's a tax benefit to give so in essence they either give it to the hospital as charity or to save the dolphins charity or something or to save a butterfly from being extinct they either give it to them or they pay it to the IRS so might as well give it to the butterfly and look good in the media like I'm a tzaddik so it's very important that once you've overcome this midah once you've gotten to a point where you're no longer cheap you're no longer angry you're no longer whatever that midah is. You are, you've are. you excelled. You're a superstar in this midah. you got a lot to work on because there's many midot. But you have one. That can serve as your foundation. Both to get to the next level, to work on the next one. Plus, as your foundation to stay close to Hashem in case, Chash V'Shalom, you fall in your tshuva. Chash v'shalom, you make a sin on Shabbat you make a sin we're wasting seed you make this sin that sin Yitzara immediately gets into your head as soon as you make a sin saying ah look you wasted seed once might as well do it again look you turn on the phone might as well turn on the car too I actually had one of my students Baruch Hashem a new Shomer Shabbat never in a life kept Shabbat never did anything Baruch Hashem we had a nice conversation and said you know what I'm going to take on Shabbat modesty and kosher It was like Modesty by itself is like You want to beg people for two years To be modest She took all three All three at once Superhero So she texts me And she says Listen uh, I made a mistake I uh, Touched my phone Should I have just Continued Watching TV And you know just Or is it better that I went back And you know Because I didn't continue I just I touched my phone once And but I stopped and I went back to Shabbat Is it better that I did that or I might as well just cancel the whole thing Once I violate Shabbat once Then it's all worth it It all goes in the garbage That's what people think No, each sin is itself Somebody makes one sin End the sin Go back to being a tzaddik Go back to being a tzaddikit. Okay, you touched the phone once Okay, you lit a cigarette once Okay, you drove once But as soon as that sin is over That's it, you start fresh if you turn on the phone, or if you go back in the car, or you watch TV, each one's a new sin. Meaning that all of those geniuses that drive to shul on Shabbat, thinking that they're making a mitzvah, they don't realize, just going to shul, they're making millions of averot. Millions. And way back, they're also making millions. For what? For one mitzvah. To go to the shul, and let's say a few years, saying, let's say, Amen a bunch of times. Let's say you made a hundred mitzvot by going to shul, let's say, you made 49,000, 50,000 just going to the first traffic light. Why? Because according to one of my students who is an uh, engineer, he said each time you turn on the car, it's not just one sin, because there's a certain amount of RPMs, certain amount of speed. On the average, running a car at normal speed, you're making 6,000 fires. Each time you press the gas pedal Press the gas pedal once 6,000 different fires You're not pressing it all once You're pressing it several times By the time you got to the house It's a 20 minute ride It's not Far-fetched to say You made 15, 20 million sins For what? For 100 uh, mitzvot? You understand? So First and foremost We have to Realize, each sin is separate. You make the sin, okay, the Yetzirah is going to get into your head and say, Ah, might as well not do anything. No. Do what you can and get stronger. Okay, you touched the phone, but now remember that, okay, touching the phone on Shabbat is not allowed. Lighting a cigarette is not allowed. Whatever you did is not allowed. Get stronger for it. Just like someone's on a diet. Someone's on a diet, once in a while they cheat, they eat a burger. Okay, you're not going to become an animal all of a sudden just because you ate one burger. If you've been dieting for six months, okay, you ate a burger, you finished the burger, say and go back to not eating burgers anymore. Don't ruin six months worth of work because of one burger. Don't ruin a whole Shabbat because of one sin. Okay, it's not good. But don't ruin the whole thing. Not the rest of your life, of course. So, it's important for us to not listen to the Yetzirah when it comes into our head and move on once you have that foundation that, that strong midah that's gonna serve as your reminder how so when you made that chash Shalom or anyone that made that sin on Shabbat says, but you know what the rabbi did say that my uh, anger problems are getting much better I'm not getting angry that by itself just getting that compliment from the rabbi makes it worth it for you to say you know what let me put the phone down let me go back to Shabbat oh you know what my wife she was really nice to me this week because I was very generous with her so I guess I'm not as stingy as I used to be two months ago that by itself is worth it say so you know what let me turn on a, you know, let me just stop watching TV on Shabbat or at all so that strong foundation that you have that one midah it's very very important that you have it as strong as possible then move on to the next one. That's stage one. But Rabbi Eliezer is saying something else here. Rabbi Eliezer is saying that foundation, he's giving you details of what the foundation should be. So, first we learn that you should have a foundation. Rabbi Eliezer says, no, your foundation should be Ain Tova. having a good eye. What's having a good eye? I think every single Jew knows the verse that says Love your brother as you love yourself The Ramban comes to us and he says Of course Hashem who is the creator knows his creation and knows that it's not possible for even the most righteous among us to love every single human being as much as we love ourselves once in a while is going to be a guy you don't like and even the one you like you don't like him as much as you like yourself let's be real here we're all selfish and this is in the generation of the Ramban and the Ramban and the Ramban is saying this one so obviously Hashem he made an eternal Torah he didn't make a temporary Torah and he said, you must love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, but it's not possible. Koach didn't exactly love Moshe Rabbeinu. Even though Koach was supposed to be a Tamit Chacham. So what does Ve'avta L'Rach HaKam mean? It means having Ayin Tova. It means being happy for your brother, for your sister, for your friend, for your neighbor, for your fellow Jew, about what they're receiving in their life, the, the, the grace they're getting from Hashem, the salvation they're getting from Hashem, the panasah they're getting from Hashem, the good they're getting from Hashem, just like you'd be happy if you got it yourself. Meaning, when your friend bought a car, say, bauch Hashem, Mazal Tov, and really mean it, not be one of these people and say, "How do you afford that car?" Maybe his father paid for it. Nah, he probably stole it. Nah, it's probably some one of his bank frauds or something. Nah, he probably cheated some customer. And you start coming up with ideas of how this guy's a criminal because how could he afford this car? And I still have this uh, nineteen fifty six Buick. This guy has a Mercedes Benz or whatever they are. How could it be? That's called ein ra. Evil eye. You have to have Tova. You see a friend do an extension to his house? Mazal tov, Enjoy. You're happy as if you extended your house. You see, you got a new job? You see, you got a Chidush in the Torah? Yes. That's Ain Tova. I've mentioned this many times in the lectures. I remember in the past. You know, I told you guys many times that uh, when you have money you tend to get many friends so I used to have many many friends and uh, it was very interesting that the topic of conversation was constantly how much money I have or how much money I made and I would always ask people why do you care how much money I have like, uh, what difference does it make to you or they would talk about somebody else's money talk about now some baseball players money he just signed a million dollar deal or a 50 million dollar deal or a billion dollar deal whatever deal or this artist or that artist he has this money and that one has money in my opinion the lowest form of conversation is talking about other people's money what do you care how much money they have why why is he paying your bills Is, 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 is he sending you like a residual check because he signed with the Yankees like what difference does it make That he has money or not. If anything, now that we learn Torah, I realize how bad it is. It's not that it's just a low form of conversation where it shows that you have no intellect whatsoever, but it actually shows you have Ain Raah. You have a jealous mentality. You, you, You think that in essence, you should be getting it. Counting other people's money is the worst possible thing in the world. First and foremost, it's guaranteed to make you miserable. Guaranteed, because even if you have a lot of money, even if you have whatever you consider a lot of money, everybody this you know has a different definition of what a lot of money means. Some people think a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. Some people think a million dollars is a lot of money. Some people think ten million dollars is a lot of money. In reality, in my opinion, none of them are a lot of money. But that's my opinion. The point is, is that if you are constantly counting other people's money. You're gonna have a serious problem because you will always find someone that has more than you. And you'll never be happy. Ever. Because you always ask you just got a million dollar deal, buddy. Come on. Two years ago you were almost homeless. You got a million dollar deal. Yeah, but look at uh Bill, what's his name? He went to uh, he went to Vegas for the day on a jet. His fifty million dollar jet. Okay, but he's Bill Gates, buddy. He's not you. He's just Joe from Klondike. You're lucky you even have a job, buddy. It's different. You're not him. Hashem didn't want to make you a billionaire. You're lucky you have a job. You got a million dollar deal. You should be happy. You're going to make 20 grand this month. No, but look, he's got a jet. Look at his car. He's got a Phantom. He spent $500,000 on his car. He spent fifteen thousand on a suit you're gonna be miserable for the rest of your life my friend I guarantee it I can't guarantee much in life but that I can guarantee you will always be miserable as long as you spend even an ounce of your day an ounce of your day thinking about other people's money you will be miserable for the rest of your life you will never ever be happy you'll be fake happy fake happy fake happy means that's temporary happy happy when you got your fix you just signed a deal The check cleared in the bank, you're happy for a few moments. You're happy for an hour, you're happy for a day, you're happy maybe for a week. But over time, you get used to it, and then it becomes meaningless. How do I know? I lived it. First check I got for $1,000 was the greatest check in the world. To this day, I remember the pleasure I got because of six months of not having any money, six months of living pure poverty, borrowing $1 a day, from a guy named Dimitri so I could buy a donut and coffee. Six months. Six months of sneaking on a bus. Six months of mama's torture. I finally got a thousand dollar check. To me it was the greatest thing in the world. Seven, eight months later I got a hundred seventeen thousand dollar check. Great. But the pleasure not even close to the thousand. Much less pleasure as much as, as strange as it sounds. But it was still, I don't know, pleasure for a week, a month, whatever it was. A few months later, I was on vacation in Puerto Rico. I called my office, I'm like, ah, how much money did I make? He's told oh, you made 180000 this month. I'm like, all right, good, good. And I hung up the phone and just went back on vacation. I enjoyed, I don't know, the four-day weekend, thinking about this $180,000 that I had. Wasted some money. $180,000 for a month, I'm 20-something years old. 23 years old, 24 years old. 23, great, Enjoy it for four days, fast forward, May 2006, I make 1.6 million dollars in one day, five minutes after I find out, five minutes after I find out I made 1.6 million dollars, I go back on the phone to work, my employees come to me and say, wait, didn't you just make a bunch of money, I'm like, yeah, we made a, made a lot of money, yeah, what's up, what do you need, why are you still here, like, I'm working, what do you want for my life, What what, what do you need. I'm working. Like, what, 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 what do you expect me to do? Zero joy. Zero joy. Why? Because I was constantly looking at the top of the food chain. He's got a billion, I can get two. As long as I don't have two, this million means nothing. So as long as you're counting other people's money, not that I cared about their money as far as like I needed anything from them. But if you have that type of mentality, you'll always feel like you're lacking. It's good to be ambitious, but there's a healthy one. There's a healthy way to be ambitious. And it's an unhealthy way. Most people use it in an unhealthy way. Where their ambition is looking at car magazines. Their ambition is looking at plane magazines. Their ambition is looking at websites or shows like MTV Cribs. Oh, look at his house, it's $15 million. And they spent half the day talking about 50 cents money, or this guy's money, or Mike Tyson's money, or Bill Gates' money, and all these people's money. You know what the funny thing is? Most people that are really rich don't talk about money. They talk about deals, but they don't talk about money. No, they oh yeah, I bought this, I bought that. It's usually the new rich. It's the new kid on the block. The new kid, the new money, he's the one that talks about money every five minutes. The little rapper that just got his first million dollars or 10 million dollars or 15 million dollars. He talks about money in all of his songs and it's fun and it's great and God bless you. A few years from now, he may not have any left. But the guy that actually writes his check, he doesn't talk about money. He talks about deals. He talks about like ambitions and things like that. So again, there's a healthy way to be ambitious. There's an unhealthy way of being ambitious. And if you have an ein tovah, you're already in the right track. Why? Because number one, you're guaranteeing yourself that whatever you have, you're going to be happy with. So you give us even a thumbs up to train. Came right on time. Whatever you have, you're going to be happy with. Sis, double. So that's one of the most important things in your life is to be happy. and this is one of the most important things to build that happiness on to be happy with what you have. You have five bucks in the bank, be happy. You're still breathing, you're still eating, you still have a roof over your head you should be happy. You have eyes you know how, many, how much money people are gonna spend just to get one eye? You know how much money any of these rich people that are blind are willing to spend for one eye? One, not two eyes. One eye that you have. Endless amount of money. You know how much money someone that's crippled, is willing to spend for your legs? Or how much money somebody is willing to spend for your brain? Or even your sense of taste? How miserable would it be if you were like a snake and you weren't able to taste anything? You know how much money people will spend for all of that? You're already rich. You just got to look at it that way. You got to look at it in the, in the right, right, right direction. Stop counting phantoms and Ferraris. So Abiyah the Ezzel says, Ain Tova, the Ramban says, Ain Tova means every time your neighbor, your friend, your buddy, he gets something, you fulfill the mitzvah, meaning you're happy for what he got, just like you got it. That's loving your neighbor. That's loving your brother. He got a new car. Mazal Tov. New kid? Yes. We have another Jew in the world. His wife is prettier than yours. You shouldn't be looking. But anyway, Mazal Tov. Whatever he has, be happy. Because what it's saying here is that Hashem is doing it. And Hashem says he deserves it. Whatever he has, he deserves Maybe one day you'll deserve it too Maybe not so that's the first thing A good friend Now when you think of a good friend In today's world, what do you think of? You think of somebody's going to Pick me up when I have a flat tire Somebody is going to take me to the airport At 6 o'clock in the morning That's what we think of as a good friend. That's not a good friend. Chazal is telling us, Ra'av and Meir are telling us, a good friend is someone that's willing to offer constructive criticism and corrective advice. That's what a real good friend is. A good friend sees his friend, Michalel Shabbat, making any type of sin, a good friend, you're telling my friend, you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. Come stay in my house. Stay in my house all weekend. I'll stay at your house. I will not leave the house. Just don't drive on Shabbat. Hey, he's a goy. You can't be with him. You're a Jew. You're a beautiful Jew. You're a princess. You're not allowed to go with him. Okay, he's a nice guy. Okay, he's an Arab, but he's not a terrorist. Baruch. But you're not allowed to be with him. He's he's not a Jew. She's not a Jew. Okay, he's nice. He's Italian. He's Filipino. He's Greek. They're all wonderful people. But you can't be with them if you're a Jew and they're not. Good friend's going to tell you that. That's what a good friend is. How do you know you have a good friend? Because sometimes you have people that all they do is criticize. You bring them to your house. this never happened to me because I would act differently, but I, there was a guy that would go to a friend of mine's house, one of my students' houses. There's this guy constantly invite him to the house. His wife worked hard like every wife to prepare for Shabbat. I don't know how people have this I don't know this guy was maybe born in a jungle but the guy gets food he's invited for Shabbat what does he do? he complains about the food it's like oh salty oh it's sweet oh it's spicy oh it's this oh it's that me if he did this to my wife I take the food it's it in his face what? you're coming to my house? and you complain about my wife's food? eat be quiet say thank you leave that's what I think with my animalistic midot, the guy's insulting my wife with the food. Are you crazy? This guy, every week, every week, every week, he'd complain about the food. I'm like, what a kapha'at avonot just to watch this, let alone experience it. So some people just like to complain. They complain about everything. They complain about the government. They complain about the viknesset. They complain about missionaries coming. They complain about, they complain about uh, all types of things they complain They complain, complain, complain That's not what I'm talking about here. Chazal is saying here The one that's going to criticize you He's not going to criticize you because your food is salty He's not going to criticize you Because, uh, you know, I don't know Some other nonsense You like this team and he likes a different team Both of which are considered bitul Torah watching any of these stupid sports Point is He's not going to complain to you about that a real friend is going to tell you my friend you know you get angry too fast and I have this book for you it's called Mesilat Yesharim it's called Sharet Shuvah it's called Pedayuetz it's called whatever other Musar book you have it's a really good book it really helped me out I think you should watch it I think you should read it that's a good friend that's a good friend And if you're so scared to tell him that he's an angry little monster, he's a little angry little gremlin, then what do you do? Just send him the anger lecture. Say, listen, it's a great lecture. What's it about? It's great. What is it? Amazing. Don't give him any definitions. Just tell him it's amazing. Change the title if you can. If it's called like anger management lecture, just change it to happy, happy place. Whatever. Just send him the lecture. Have him watch it. What is it about? It's amazing. He'll get the point. He'll get the point. He'll watch it. And the best part about it is that he'll eventually think it's his idea to start working on his anger. But don't worry, in Shemaim you still get the schut. But, if you can't really tell him the root of the problem, Chazal says, that's the test of your friendship. Meaning, the strength of a friendship is measured by its ability to withstand the strain of constructive criticism English if you can talk to him face to face next to him not like from across the room talk to him face to face not over the phone or over text not over whatsapp not over facebook not mail face to face and tell him I love you but you have to start working on your anger buddy I love you, but you're seriously, you should have given that guy a little bit more money. You just made $10,000 dollars this month. You gave the guy five bucks. come on man. You could, you could handle a little more. In your own language, obviously my language is not necessarily for everyone. But the point is, if you could tell him, like hit it, the truth, then you have a strong friendship. But if you have a tough time, if you're walking on eggshells, either next to your friend or next to your spouse. Your friendship is not that strong. Your marriage is not that strong. Now when it comes to marriage, Midrash Shmuel says, a good friend, chaver Tov, is actually referring to a spouse. But, when it comes to your spouse, you cannot criticize them the same way you, cr- you criticize your friends. One, the reason is because you won't survive the week your wife will kill you Uh, probably when you're sleeping Uh, but really it's uh, it's not healthy for a relationship one of the most important things for a woman to have in order for her to feel love feel love for her husband is if he empowers her if he gives her confidence She's confident to be herself. She's confident in her relationship. She's confident in her looks. She's confident in her ability, in her intellect. But if the husband makes his wife feel stupid, feel ugly, feel fat, feel whatever, you ruin your marriage. If you tell your wife, Honey, I think you should go to my mom to learn how to cook. That's the end of your marriage. It's the end of your marriage. You might as well just write the get. Just pay it already. It's the end. She's never going to look at you again. Maybe she'll put poison in your food. Especially if she's Sephardic, it's very likely. <laughs> so put the slipper in the food. Say, oh, you don't like my food. You don't like your mom's food? Okay, let me put the slipper in the food. Let's see how you like the slipper. Okay, well, the oh, what? Well, slipper. Yeah, when we were kids, my mom's slipper was like a boomerang. God bless her. You'd be in the end of the room. <laughs> Oh, whoa! How did this happen? How did it get here? She's like three miles away. Got there, got there. Listen, that's the that's the real that's the real discipline. Oh we ended up pretty good kids. But anyway, now nah, we didn't get abused, but once in a I get a slipper. I wish today kids would get some slippers. Learn how to behave. <laughs> Watch, there's gonna be at least ten haters saying, oh, he's advocating beating children. <laughs> Is that what the Torah says? So <laughs> My dad told me what they would do to him in his school, how they beat him up there to teach him. Eh, Listen, it depends who's beating you. But anyway so Haver Tov when it comes to a friend, whether it's your spouse or your colleague or your friend, the strength of the relationship is going to be determined by how comfortable you are criticizing each other constructively, not just criticizing each other you know, by making fun of each other. Now today, whether it's in Breslev, or it's in Chabad, or it's in different movements of Hasidut, there is this concept that's mistaken, where many are saying that we really are such a weak generation that we shouldn't really be teaching anything in regards to Middat Adin, Really shouldn't be a uh, teaching anything that's. Um, should, really shouldn't be teaching anything in regards to Yerah. It's all loving Hashem, love Hashem, connect to Rabbi this or Rabbi that. And they're saying, you know, Hasidut is all about loving Hashem. Hasidut is all about, you know, Idbodadut and you know, all these wonderful, nice parts of Judaism. But if anybody actually reads some of these ancient books, See it's not exactly that It's not exactly that And I gave an example Baruch Hashem In a, uh, the early late, 18, late 1700s Early 1800s There was One of the G'dolei Adol By the name of Rabbi Eliezer Papo Rabbi Eliezer Papo Also known as Pele Yoetz Rabbi Eliezer Papo was one of the one of the major moving pieces of the Musar movement. He's called the Pele because that was his most famous work, called Pele Yoetz, a Musar book. And he has some other books. One of those books is called Yalzu Hasidim. Yalzu Chasidim. And Yalzu Hasidim... He writes this. Anyone who sees his friend sinning and doesn't rebuke him, she's a friend, buddy, fellow Jew, neighbor, whoever, sees him drive on Shabbat, chas Sees his twiline over here. up over here. Sees him eating taref. Sees him doing something. Doesn't say anything. It's as if he murdered him. No more, no less. Explain it twice. You saw your friend sinning? This is a Hasidic book. This is the real Hasidut. You saw your friend sinning and you didn't say anything? You, my friend, are a Murderer. That's what the Pelioid says. At least who say, "Listen, you don't rebuke him, it's not that good. He said you're a murderer, not less. And he's not saying if you didn't rebuke him for Khilul Shabbat, he's not saying you didn't rebuke him for wasting seed, he's not saying you didn't rebuke him for Khilul Hashem, for bringing a missionary. He's not saying that. He's saying it's for anything. Anything. You see your friend sitting, you don't say anything, you're a murderer. It's a Hasidish book. We gotta start learning these books. Why is it that most people are so scared of rebuking? In this kosher magazine called Zman, it's a very interesting article this month about a strange case a very unfortunate case where a woman had a disease called Munchausen what Munchausen is is to think that you're always sick but you're not sick in essence making yourself sick take medicines and do all types of things making yourself sick but usually most people have not Munchausen for themselves they have Munchausen proxy meaning they make somebody else sick usually their child child born hundred percent healthy but they tell the kid he's sick or she's sick and they start giving him medicine and more medicine they keep giving them to bring him to doctors yes his ear hurts the kid doesn't hear it doesn't hurt and what is the the doctors? They're not always a uh, you know the best doctors. So the parent says the ear hurts. They listen to the parents. They don't listen to the kid. The doctor hears the parents say the kid's coughing all night. They're not going to listen to the kid. And ask him. Listen. Are you coughing all night? Is she lying? No. They're going to ask him. They going to listen to the parent. And this is a horrendous disease. It's a mental disorder. And this case over here is that this woman had a kid who suffered for 23 years. For 23 years the world thought she was sick and the girl herself thought she was sick because of what her mom did to such an extent that they gave her surgeries in her ears, in her teeth, in her head, in different places of her body based on this crazy mother. how do they eventually find out that this she's not really sick eventually the mom died Bo Hashem and the kid that everyone thought was a uh, paraplegic they thought that she wasn't able to walk anymore just got up off the chair and started walking and she left the house and they found her 400 miles away from her house walking where have you been? The mom died, and I realized I'm living a lie. Very, very interesting article. It's a very, it's a kosher magazine. But you're not allowed to read non-kosher magazines. But this is a very kosher one. Also has some a Why do I tell you about this man And we're gonna have a, a biological class, a psychological class. Even though I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was in college, I'm not gonna teach a psychiatrist. Why? Because on Shabbat I had this chidush. I'm asking myself all the time what is it about this generation's rabbis that first of all fear rebuking people to such an extent like they're all walking on eggshells when, to such an extent that when they see you telling people that a Mechalel Shabbat is considering an idol worshipper they go against you the people accept it, they don't like it all the time but they accept it, who is the enemy? the rabbi the rabbi goes against you. What do you care? I'm telling them it's in the Torah. Did I make it up? It's written in the Torah. It's Al-Achot Shabbat, chapter 30 in the Rambam. It's there. Yakut Yosef, Zohar, Gemara, Masichat Shabbat. Where else do you want me to quote? Pick a book. Any book that talks about Shabbat says it. Any of them. You tell this, people, no, it's too much. Too much Midat Adin. Too hard for this generation. And I said, you know what? This is the generation of rabbis with Munchausen. In essence, so many rabbis literally believe and are forcing Am to be sick. They're forcing them to consider themselves anusim or tinok or whatever other term you want to use that pretty much Excuses you from all mitzvot So we had the Christians for the last two thousand years that used to be Jewish two thousand years ago, they wanted to forgive themselves for the mitzvot and say, Listen, some dude died. And we're not doing any mitzvot anymore. So they start idol worshiping. So now you fast forward two thousand years, and Hashem, we've assimilated so much we're starting to do it to ourselves. We're starting to say, listen, his mom was Jewish. That's enough. What do you mean it's enough? He's a Mechelet Shabbat. He eats taref every day. He eats a McDonald's. He doesn't pray. His tefillin, he's 37 years old. The tefillin he has when he was 13 years old doesn't fit. He doesn't know anything. He does Shema Yisrael like this guy doesn't know anything he says it's okay no he gives staka why he gives staka it's not gonna help him and I actually had a debate and anyone that wants to seriously check it and think that I'm making this up I have this in writing I have this so called rabbi that used to come to my office every week sometimes multiple times a week for years not once did he ever tell me to keep shabbat not once did he ever tell me to do anything as a matter of fact, I even asked him one time, can I learn some Torah? You want to teach me some Torah? You always talk about this Torah that you learned. Can I, can I learn with you? He came once, we learned one time, he never came again after that. He just came for tzedakah. To pay his mortgage, to pay this, to pay that. For that he came like clockwork. Telling me Michalaz Shabbat Mot never did. Telling me that I'm not allowed to be intermarried, never did. Telling me anything of any value, never So, whatever. I guess that wasn't his schut. He didn't want to do it. He didn't have the guts. Whatever. After I did tshuva, Bauch Hashem, we started giving lectures. Bauch Hashem, we started helping other people do chuba. One day, he sees my lecture online. He contacts me. And we get in touch. We start exchanging uh, messages. And I ask him point blank. How come you didn't tell me? How come you didn't tell me about Shabbat, about intermarriage, but anything. He goes, "No, oh, no, you're uh, tinok shanishba." Like what? Huh? Tinok shanishba? Why am I tinok shanishba? Well, am I retarded? Am I dyslexic? Am I my brain not functioning? Like why? Why am I doing? Because no, everyone in this generation is tinok shanishba. I said, "But I'm, I, as you can see, I'm not tinok shanishba anymore. I'm, I learned to lie. Oh, teach a little bit." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, but you don't have to." Only mitzvah this generation has to do is give staka. Only mitzvah. That's it. You give staka? You find this is a rabbi. Don't think I'm making this up. Rabbi has three, four hundred people come to his place every Shabbat. Everybody's a mechel Shabbat practically. I'm thinking myself. I said you actually believe what you're saying? I start providing him verses. What does this verse say? What does this verse say? Look at this Alakha. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Long story show we go back and forth. I tell him, you know, you're you're you're, you're kofer. You should stay in your house and never leave. Stop, you know, talking to people about Judaism. And I said at the end, I said, "Wait a minute. If everyone's excused, like the rabbis say And all you have to do is give tzedakah And one day you're going to keep Shabbat One day you're going to keep kosher One day you're going to do whatever Why does the rabbi keep it? Why don't you use the excuse yourself? Why don't you eat no Maybe Why do you keep mitzvot? Why do you not eat on Yom Kippur? You should eat also You should drive to shul on Shabbat also Why do you keep it? Ah, because you're a liar because you're a liar, because you're a businessman, you're a con man, all you want is money. Because the only mitzvah you care about is the one that affects your pocket. You Gives takah, pocket grows. And that's the generation we live in where there's a lot of shakranim, there's a lot of liars, and we have to stay away from them. If you're not growing in Judaism, you're shrinking. If your rabbi is not rebuking you once in a while, telling you, hey, listen, you have to fix this, you have to fix that, you have to work on this, you have to work on that. Directly or indirectly. Sometimes they'll be direct, sometimes they'll see it indirectly. They'll tell you a story about a guy that had the same problem that you happen to have. Like my rabbi, God bless him, I don't know how he does it, all I know is that by the time we walk from the shul to the B'kneset, and when, we were in, when I was in Yerushalayim at his house, by the time I we went from the shul to the, uh, the Be'knesset, somehow one of my midot got fixed. All of a sudden I realized, oh, I have to fix this. He never said anything directly, but he said something, this, that, there was chidun, I don't know what happened, all I know is that by the time we got to the B'kneset, something changed. I felt that I have to fix something immediately. But he never directly said, listen, you know what, you have a XYZ problem. Never. He has his own shita. The point being is that he did something. You can't be one of these people saying, no, no, just give us the kind, everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. So that's one of the things that people need to understand. Enough with the nonsense. Enough with the Munchhauser proxy. We're not a Sikh generation. We can handle mitzvot. If you can do mitzvot, we can do mitzvot. If you can learn Torah, we can learn Torah. Okay, it's not easy in the beginning. Okay, Shabbat is a little unusual in the beginning. Eventually, it's a vacation. Okay, learning Torah is a little bit difficult at first. Eventually, it's Gan Eden. But don't decide for me what I can or I can't do. Don't decide for me. At the very least, be a chaver tov. At the very least, tell me the truth a little bit. Tell me. One of my problems. Don't tell me a list of my problems because maybe i will discourage me. Tell me one of my problems. Hey, by the way, you know, I know you drive to Shul every day to Nets, but if you don't drive on Shabbat, it's even better. As a matter of fact, if you never come to Shul again, it's better than you driving on Shabbat once. Don't ever come to Shul. At least don't drive on Shabbat. Tell me one of my problems. Tell me something. Stop asking me for money and earn it what do you think if I become religious I'll stop giving like what's the thinking why don't you want me to be religious why do you have the Munchausen syndrome why why do you think I'm sick and incapable of doing mitzvot I can do it I can put a keep on what's the big deal what's the big deal putting tefillin five minutes a day what's the big deal of praying before I eat so I'm not an animal the Torah is not in Shamayim. It's not so far that we have to send some spaceship to get it. It's not that difficult to keep Shabbat. It's not that difficult to keep kosher. Okay, so it's a little more expensive. Big deal. It's not your money anyway. Hashem gave it to you. It's not that difficult to be modest. In the beginning, it's a little strange. In the beginning, it's a little hot. In the beginning, it's a little unusual. But what girl doesn't like a brand new wardrobe? You get to get a brand new wardrobe. And it's a mitzvah for your husband to buy you as much clothes as you want. Why? Because they're all mitzvah. Every time you put a modest clothing on, it's a mitzvah. You're walking kiddush Hashem. It's not that difficult. You get used to it. In the beginning, it's a little unusual to change your life, but it's not that difficult. Who thinks it's difficult? Not the people. The fake rabbis, that tell you you can't do it. Just give stikah and listen to the missionary. Give us motivational speech. Papa Shomayim, it's not that difficult. At the very least, bechaver tov. Next, Shachentov, Tov, good neighbor. Rabbi Ossi says a good neighbor, he says because a good neighbor is closer than a Chavir. Chavir sometimes is far away. A friend is far away, but a neighbor is, because of his proximity, can be even more important than the Chavir. And the reason why is because he sees you every day. So he can influence you directly and indirectly directly by being a friend and saying, listen, buddy, by the way, it wasn't nice that you cut off so-and-so on the highway. It's not safe, and it also could be a chilul Hashem, plus, it's just bad midot. He knows where you're at, he's next to you. But your neighbor could also influence you by his own behavior. Because you see him all the time just because he's close to you. So he sees that when when his, you know, his kids are going crazy. He's calm, collected. Okay, yes, Sarah, I love you. I understand. Come, baby. You pick her up. You kiss her. She stops screaming. You put her down. You go to Avadya, Talk to him. Teach him a few psukim. You move on with your life. He says, oh, wow, look. His kids were screaming five minutes ago. Now they're calm? Wow, I should try that with my kids instead of throwing shoes at them. Plus, the shoes are breaking. So, you end up helping the person with the same thing. What is it? Constructive criticism. Again, Chazal only cares about your closeness to Hashem. In order to get close to Hashem, we must work on our midot. The Arizal said, Without working on your middot, there's absolutely no way whatsoever for you to fulfill your mission in this world. Everything else is worthless if you don't work on your midot. So, one of the things that will help you be such a good neighbor is going back to the beginning with Ain Tova. If you have a good eye, then every time you look at your neighbor, number one, you're going to judge him favorably. If you see something, if he's known to be righteous, if you see something that doesn't look 100% kosher, if he's known to be righteous, if he's known to be good over an extended period of time, you're going to f- use your imagination that Hashem Ibn gave you to find some type of excuse of why he's doing what he's doing. Oh, I see him driving on Shabbat. Okay, maybe he's driving his wife to give birth at the hospital. Hashem didn't give you an imagination so you can make uh, cartoons and uh, Mickey Mouse drawings. He gave you an imagination to create excuses for other righteous people to give them kafshut, to give them the benefit of the doubt. So, if you see a righteous neighbor driving on Shabbat, maybe he's going to the hospital. Maybe he's part of a as he's a volunteer and he's saving a life. Maybe, you know, come up with something. But if he's a rasha, you're not allowed to give him kafskut. Not allowed. It's actually a sin to give him kafskut. Meaning, if you see, you see Hitler, start giving free sandwiches to people, you actually have to come up with an excuse of why he's doing it. Oh, there's probably a poison in the sandwich. If you see a mean, a missionary... Come to the Knesset and say, hey, listen, I'm going to give a lecture to motivate everybody. Not allowed to believe him. Why? Because maybe he's trying to convert us. Maybe he's not coming just to motivate us about life. Maybe he's coming to motivate us about Jesus and the rest of his idol worship friends. Not allowed then. That's why the Gemara Masechat Abu Dazara, page 17, says you're not allowed to be within four amot. Of him or his place. You cannot be within six feet of him. Standing. Kal v'chomer, you. you're not allowed to bring him into a sefer Torah next to you. Kal v'chomer, you're not allowed to bring him into a big Because you're not allowed to give him benefit of the doubt. Next. Rabbi Shimon Omer. et hanolad. Someone that sees the outcome of the deed. One of the main things that people like to read about today, both past and present, is leadership. Great leaders. Who are the great leaders in history? Great leaders of countries, of armies, and obviously needless to say, great leaders of companies. That's why top bestsellers are always the bios of whether it's Steve Jobs or uh, the Walton family, Henry Ford, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and so on and so forth. The list goes on and on. Everyone likes to read their books about their life, and he was a little kid and he delivered newspapers for 25 cents a week and one day he invented this and the next day he went and worked in this and da-da-da-da and today he is a gazillionaire it's always the same story it's new, it's inspiring and people like it and everyone says yeah, he's really smart oh yeah, he's really this he's really that but there's one common characteristic That all great leaders have Both past, present and future That's rarely talked about Where if you don't have this character trait It's impossible Impossible for you To be a great leader Anyone want to take a guess? Huh? You see the outcome of that? Okay To be able to see the future. To be able to use something called foresight. People that are smart hire smarter people. That's the best sign that you're smart. If you're smart, you want to run a business, you hire people that are smarter than you. Because if you're the only smart guy in the company, you're an idiot. Simply said, you have to hire smarter people. Steve Jobs did not create the iPhone. He did not create much of anything in the last 10-15 years. He had an idea. And the really, really smart guys, they put it together. Same thing with every major company, whether it's Coca-Cola, or it's Pepsi, or it's Ford, or it's anything. They had an idea because of their foresight. They saw that there is going to be a need for something specific, there's going to be convenience created as a result of their product. They saw something in the future, not now. Steve Jobs knew that not everyone's going to buy a computer today when he first created the first computer, or first home computer, I should say. He knew that not everyone's going to buy it. I mean, it's, any logical person would know that. There was nothing to do. There was no internet. There was a typewriter that was digital. You played games on it. You played, I don't know, Tetris or something. It was almost a, practically a useless machine, that just fancy. But he saw that the more people get it, the more likely there are gonna be other people involved and create other things and take this internet that was basically just used by governments and make it mainstream. Eventually he was right. Eventually all of these leaders were right. So it's not that they were in the right place at the right time. That's not true. It's not about being at the right place at the right time. It's knowing where the right place is going to be in order to be there. When it happens. You want to be a great leader, you have to be able to put yourself out there and let everyone call you crazy. Let everyone call you crazy. Wow, it's crazy coming up with this. Who's going to ever use a search engine? Well, it's called Google now. Who's ever going to use this? Who's ever going to use that? Every major company that ever succeeded was called crazy at one point. You must have foresight. That's the business advice. But the spiritual advice is even more important. Because that's the advice that's going to decide whether you have ulama ba that's a good or a bad one. In order for you to use this foresight, you have to look at the past. At your past. At your nation's past. And determine what the future is going to be based on that. The last time I looked at a girl... I walked up to her and chas Shalom. you ended up sinning. So better, I don't look. The last time I went to this bar, fill in the blank. You know the last time you did X, Y, Z, you did this. The last time I hung out with Joey and Steve, we went to fill in the blank. So Joey and Steve are not exactly a haver tov. Not only are they not rebuking me, they're making me sin. With friends like that, who needs enemies? You have to look at the past. You have to look at what you did in the past the last time you had money. The last time you had money, were you an egotistical maniac? Or were you generous? The last time you had an argument with your wife, and you yelled at her. Did it actually work out to your advantage? Or did she try to, like, you know, put a little poison in the julet? How did it work out for you yelling at your wife? How did it work out for you yelling at your kids? They become smarter, they become wiser, they got hundreds in the next test, or so they started failing for some strange reason. All of a sudden, they became stupid. No, they didn't become stupid, they just lost all of their confidence because their father yells at them like an animal. Look at the past. Look at the past to see the future. Because that future is going to determine whether you're going to Gan Eden or Gainom. Let's not misunderstand that. It's Gan Eden or Ganom, there's no in between. It always was. And this is what I believe we're failing at miserably when it comes to the situation in Boca Raton. And we're not going to spend as much time as we did last week on this issue, but there's definitely a few things that people must understand about the situation. Because people ask me, why are you doing all this? I haven't slept in over a month. The me Milah of my own son I was barely able to pay attention to. Non-stop trying to call different rabbis, different places, trying to put every energy, every ounce of energy that we have to get people to wake up and see this is a Chilul Hashem, to see this is not allowed, to see that this should not happen, to do everything we can to stop it. What do I care? What do I care so much? anybody, you know, some people went against me. They saw last week's lecture. They say, oh, you're saying Lashonara, oh, you're Rasha, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. A few people, most people, oh, Hashem, saw the truth and are supporting and are even doing even more on their own. But nonetheless, there's definitely a few naysayers that are saying the opposite. Am I getting extra money from somebody? No. In reality, I get hurt more than everybody else about this. I live there. I live in the community. I've been going to that synagogue for two and a half years. I now have to move. I dread moving. I don't. Anyone know? I don't think anyone actually likes moving, but I actually hate it. It's a big waste of time and money. Money I care less for, but time I do. I have to move now I'm not earning anything out of this There's no money There's no fame I only get problems because of all this Why am I doing all of this? Because the problem is much, much bigger and riskier And more dangerous than I even mentioned myself in last week's lecture And I believe very few actually see it. Because Rabbi Goldberg is not a regular rabbi. He's not your average rabbi that's leading a key law of 50 or 100 families or 50 or 100 people. He is leading one of the biggest key in America. It's almost a thousand families. On top of that, he is an Av Beddin, the head of a Beddin. There's two major Beddins in Florida. He's one of them. Florida is bigger than Israel, practically. He has control over a significant part of that. He's not your average rabbi. He's very well known. He's very well connected whether it be government, or different types of things. It's a likable guy. I don't have anything against him, despite what anyone thinks. I think he's making a horrendous hilul Hashem, a horrendous sin. I don't have anything personally against him though. I hate the sin, not the sinner. Whether it's this or no previous sin, the point is, this is a problem. I, don't, I didn't have a problem with it before that. That's why I went to him Personally, Privately. The problem is not me against him. It's not a. It's not like uh, I don't want his job. Even if they offered it to me, I wouldn't want it. I don't want to be a Rabbi of I never did. I never want to be. Not that I'm even qualified. But the point is that it has nothing to do with anything. It's not it has nothing to do with any self-interest. It has to do with the only thing I could say that I may maybe had in the business world that was better than some. That made me a decent businessman. Decent. I was able to see the future. I was able to see the nulad. Not obviously the future like prophecy, I'm not a prophet. But I was able to see what is going to happen as a result of certain things happening before even though certain things happened. Whether it's predicting markets or marketplaces or consumers or laws or so on. Nothing's changed. The fact is that because Goldberg is such a big rabbi, bringing Matthew Kelly, a well-known missionary that no one can doubt now because we even have a video online with him saying, I'm a missionary. And he's training missionaries. And he wants to change the world. You don't undo a missionary. You don't put missionary on hold. You're always a missionary when you're a missionary. And even Goldberg himself had a lecture a few years ago about Christianity saying himself, we have to distance ourselves from missionaries, from people that are idol worshippers. He said it himself. He maybe forgot, but he said it. Now because he's such a big rabbi, this is a big deal. If he was one of his little guys... If he was Shabtai that works there, I wouldn't even care. I'd try. I may be mentioned in a lecture or write a letter or something. I would date two days, I'd finish. Because he's affecting himself. No one knows who he is, Bikhlal. And no one knows uh, the Kila. It's a small Kila. But when you have an Avbed make something, you have yourself a serious problem. Because every lenient modern orthodox semi-orthodox sometimes orthodox this orthodox or that orthodox or reform or conservative or whatever every single shul in America at the very least America if not the entire world will see that a missionary came to a shul but not just any shul they came to a shul run by one of the top daimim in America or in Florida at the very least and they're going to use that as a hetel they're going to use that as this is allowed. And what you're going to have is you're going to have Matthew Kelly and his compadres swamp all of America and pretty much do a tour of every single synagogue in America over the next 6 to 12 months, Hashem. Why? Hey, the Dayan did it. It became halacha. It became halacha. If I did something like that, no one cares who I am, Bechlal. Yeah, he's crazy, he's a Mishu guy, he's a fanatic, he's a this, he's a that. Who is he, Bechlal? They're going to mention a million and a half things about me. But when you're Afbed Din, you're a Dayan, you're politically connected. Moses, same thing. It's like we got it Mount Sinai to bring missionaries to the synagogues. It might as well be. So even if Rabbi Goldberg is very confident, very confident that no one in his keilah is going to be affected negatively by Matthew Kelly and his missionary tactics, he still can't do this. Number one, it's against Allah. And we've proven that even from his own video, aside from our own. But aside from that, his key lie is not exactly as strong as he says it is, because I've already o- overheard several people asking about Christianity over the last two years of being there. Having interest in Christianity already in the last two years. And last but not least. Are you really going to take a risk with six million Jews in America? It's a a good question. Now why do we fight these minim so much? In Sefer Teilim, Psalms, one thirty nine, verse twenty one, twenty two. It says, David Mela says to Hashem, Alo Misan Echa Adonai is now Ubitkome et Kotat, Tahlitzin Asen etim lovima yuli. For indeed. Those who hate you, O Hashem, I hate them. And I quarrel with those that rise against you. With utmost hatred, I hate them. They have become enemies to me. Amin. an idol worshiper, a kufair, someone that causes other people to sin, is an enemy of Hashem. No one will lead another Jew to sin unless they hate them. Not only Judaism, but they hate God. No one is going to tell people, "Hey, listen, let's go have a barbecue on Shabbat," knowing that you're not allowed to do it, knowing that the others are trying to keep Shabbat, unless he hates God. He's an enemy of Hashem. You look at the end of Parashat Hanan last few verses. Hashem defines who is considered his hater. This is lovers, Shomrei Mitzvotai. The ones that keep my commandments are my lovers. His haters are obviously the opposite. But who's considered his enemy, his big enemy? Mahtia Rabim. Causes other people to sin. So David Amelik says, I hate those that hate you. They're my enemy. The Tzitz Eliezer says, why is it a mitzvah to fight the minim, to fight the Christians? Rav Ades, one of the mekubalim of this generation, said that anyone that wants to get to a high level of Gdusha in this generation must fight Christianity, must fight idol worship. You don't have to. If you want to get to a high level of Gdusha, So it's written here in Shefel Tvot Shul Shefel Tvot Shul Siman Bet Question is Why is it a mitzvah to fight the Minim To fight idol worshippers To fight the people that are complete heretics Now here he was really talking about the Karites The Karaites believed in the written Torah But were against the oral Torah So someone asked them we are allowed to reprint a book that was written by a karite. It's not an idol worshipper. It's a karite. He just believes in the written Torah. Can we reprint this book? Because everything he says in the book doesn't go against the Torah. It doesn't go against the Torah. Everything is kosher. It's about emunah. Karite. We're not talking about idol worshippers. Talk talking about karites. It's about emunah. Neutral subjects agrees with the Torah. Can we reprint a book? He writes in his book, you're not allowed to reprint the book, it's a mitzvah to burn it. It's a mitzvah to eliminate it from the world. Why? Here's the reason. So others do not get attracted to their other books. Because even if this book is 100% kosher, even if everything agrees with the Torah, even if the Catholic missionary comes to your Beit Knesset to teach you Mishnayot, to teach you Pirkei Avot, to teach you Gemara, to teach you Chumash, to read the Tanakh out loud, still not allowed. Because Chash Shalom you're ever going to admire him for even a moment and want to connect to him in another way. Chash shalom, you're going to buy his other book. Chas v'shalom, you're going to know his other book even exists. So when you look at everything that we've talked about all of Dalachot with its Gemara or its Mishnayot you see there's no room to move. If you go to the Prophet Micha chapter 1 verse 7 gives us a little bit of a understanding of Hashem's feeling about the subject. All of its graven images will be smashed and all of its idolatrous gifts will be burned in fire and that will make all of its idols desolate. One of the prophecies that Micha is telling us of Hashem's ultimate purpose with idol worship. What is this connected to? If you remember last week, Nigmara, Masichet Abu Dazara, page 16b and 17, it talks about the story of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, of how he was punished for even considering or enjoying the idea of an idol worshiper, that got his idea from from J.C. Penney. And he said, listen, I learned this from J.C. Penney, what do you think? Rabbi Eliezer didn't even talk to him. He didn't respond to him. But he said, I enjoyed his idea. And for that, he was punished from Shemaim, where he was almost killed. He was almost given the death penalty by the Goim. So what idea did this idol worshiper give him? This verse. For they were collected as a harlot's hire and they will revert to a harlot's hire. He said to him, listen, the Kohen Gadot, during the week, he doesn't leave the HaMikdash, Why don't we get him a new bathroom? Get him a new bathroom. I know you're not allowed to use the korban of the zonah, or the prostitute. I know you're not even allowed to benefit out of anything she does. Because it's a filthy occupation. You're not allowed to sell a dog and use the proceeds to buy a sheep and give it to the, to the better mikdash. I know. But I learned this from Imach Shimon I learned that maybe... You could take the proceeds from the zona, from the prostitutes, and use it to buy the bathroom, to buy the bathroom for the kohen Because it came from filth, and to filth it's going to support filth. What's in the bathroom? It's not flowers. Came from filth. It'll go to filth. And Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, one of the greatest sages that ever lived, the Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, says, "You know what? I like the idea. For liking the idea, he made a He made a sin from the Torah. Veloti You're not allowed to like it. You're not allowed to even compliment." The idea or thought process or anything from the idol worshiper. To like it, to recommend it, to compliment it. Not allowed. He says why? Something that comes from a place, a source that's impure. Isn't pure. You can't have kosher milk from a pig. Can't happen. Never will. You cannot get divrei Torah from an idol worshiper. If Rabbi Eliezer ben says it's such a nice idea, if one of the other sages actually said it, maybe it'll be a Mishnah. Maybe they will put it in It's a good idea. It's interesting. It's invigorating, if you will. Makes sense. Makes sense. But it came from a place that's tamit. Not allowed to listen to it. And he had to, when the idol worshiper came to him, he had to fulfill the mitzvah of running away. Physically running away. Because in a gemara, it says, you're not allowed to even be within four amot of an idol worshiper. For amot, needless to say, bring them to your Bet Knesset. And the reason why is because this is Hashem's ultimate goal. for idol worshipers to the beginning of that verse, of Micha saying that Hashem ultimately is going to destroy and smash all of idol worship. This is actually also what you say during every Tfilah, Lenu Shabbat. You're honoring Hashem, but also you're saying that at the end of times you're going to, Hashem is going to destroy everything. He's going to destroy all of the Elilim, all of the idols. And the whole world is going to be as one and see Hashem as one. Now we've talked about many times the horrendous sin of arayot, of sex crimes, whether it's promiscuity, wasting seed, and so on. At the end of Gemara Abu Dazara, page 17a, at the end of A, Aleph, it talks about an interesting story between Rabbi Hanina and Rabbi Yonatan, who were traveling on a road, and they saw there's a crossroad. On one end, if they go one path, it opened up to the door, not inside, but the door of a church. Like they would pass, you know, they would go this side. And there's a church on the side of the street. They would pass the door. They wouldn't go inside a church, which you're not allowed to go into. They would just pass the door. But on they go on the other road, prostitution house. But they have to go. So one of the sages said, Let us go on the path that opens onto the door of the idol worship. Let's pass the idol worship because no one's going to come to us, entice us to sin, Immodest woman. Now I don't have to worry about that. Why not the idol worship? Why not the uh, prostitution? Because it's over there. So the other one said no. We're gonna go next to the idol worship. I'm sorry. We're gonna go next to the next to the prostitution and not pass the idol worship. Why? Because the issue of idol worship is even worse. The issue of idol worship is not something that leaves you instantly. A woman came before Rav Chizda, and she wanted to do full tshuva for all of her sins, but this was no ordinary woman, this was the sinner of sins, where she said the lightest sin, the smallest sin that she had was that one of her sons was the father of another one of her sons. Shem incest. Incest. Even Baruch Hashem in this generation, we know that's not good. We know it's disgusting. Incest. She came to him, she said that the lightest sin was that. Meaning there was much worse. And Rav told her, they should make shrouds for you immediately. Because part of our tshuva was that she'd have to die. And she ended up dying as part of our tshuva, part of our re- repentance. And the Gemara asks, why did she die if it says that really, the, you're not supposed to die for, uh, uh, you know, doing tshuva, you made incidents, it's a horrible sin, but the heavenly punishment is not a death penalty instant like that what's 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 what happened here like my explains because no no that was the least of her sins what was the biggest sin kfirah heresy she said that Hashem is three like the Catholics she said that some guy died 2000 years ago and said that the entire Torah is cancelled even though he didn't but he did Kfira, going against the Torah. For that she died. For that there was a heavenly punishment where she had to die. That's even worse than incest. Kalvachomer, bringing the Kofir of Kofrim into the Be'knesset. Now, if you remember, we learned a Mishnah briefly, not in depth, which we're going to get to later on. We talked about in the fourth chapter, I believe, of Prikel uh, Avot. It talks about all of mezakeh rabbim and chet balyado. It says anyone that is a does Kiruv, that helps people do tshuva, no sin comes to him. Chapter five. I'm sorry whoever influences the masses to become tshuva, to become meritorious shall not be the cause of sin, but one who influences the masses to sin will not be given a means to repent. meaning the Rambam says they will get someone that causes other Jews to sin, or even other goyim, but obviously Jews especially, causes them to sin, causes them to listen to idol worship, causes them to go against Hashem, they could potentially get the worst possible punishment in this world, according to the Rambam, which means that their Sharet Shuvah will be closed. Now many people think that, I don't know, we made this up. So, there's many places you can find it. One of them is in the Rambam Shmona Aprakim. Shmona Ap Rakim, and it says this, The concept that God will punish a person by preventing him from repenting and withholding the option of tshuva is not a foreign one. It it's not new, it's not a chidush that Hashem decides, chash Shalom sometimes, to say, You, do tshuva. Even if you want, you're not going to do tshuva. Paro, you can't do tshuva. Machti Rabim, you can't do tshuva. I, you got to, there's people that get to the limit, there's people that cross the line. However Hashem does his cheshbon, says that one, he's not going to do chuba. Not going to do, that's the punishment. And let him continue making sins, let him continue living. Why? So he collect more sins so the punishment is greater. The Rambam continues, For he, meaning Hashem, For he knows the severity of the sins and his wisdom and justice determine the nature of the punishment received. There are those whom he punishes merely in this world. Others whom he punishes in the world to come. And others whom he punishes in both worlds. Similarly, the type of punishment in this world varies. Some are punished for their physical per- in their physical person, some are punished through their finances, and some through both of these means. Some get sick, some lose money. For example, as the punishment, God may nullify the possibility of per- for a person to function in a certain way, in which he could have chosen to function previously. He might prevent his hand from functioning, as he did in regards to Yeruvah. Or in the eyes, from seeing, as he did to the inhabitants of Sodom, who congregated against Lot. So sometimes he could punish somebody physically. Similarly, he may prevent the desire for repentance from arising. So that he will he will perish in his sins. He says sometimes someone gets to such a horrible level with Hashem, such a horrible disconnect with Hashem. He says that the punishment, is that Hashem says, I'm not going to allow you to ever have a Yur'et Tshuva. You're never going to want to do Tshuva. You're going to think you're a tzaddik. You're going to think that what you're doing is a Mitzvah. Mitzvah. Kiddush Hashem. Being open-minded. Being tzaddik, being this, being that. You're, everyone, you're the tzaddik and everyone's a shayim. Everyone's Korach and you're a Moshe. You're not even going to think about doing chuba. That's the worst possible punishment you can get in this world. Better to have 70 years of the Yisurim that I had for 7 years. 70 years of them. Or 7 years of, of, of course, a yov, 1 minute of a yov. Better to have that than Hashem closing sharei tshuva. He continues later on, a few paragraphs forward. He says, "This made it known that God may punish a person by withholding free choice from him. You have free choice. You could choose to do tshuva, could choose not to do tshuva, choose to have yirat shamayim, choose not to have yirat shamayim." As the saying says. Everything from Shemaim, except being righteous or not, except having Yat Shemaim or not. Except once. It's an exception. When? When Hashem says, you, free choice, no more. You're going to die Rashaf. No more Tshuva for you. Very scary. This is scary than any Ganom Shior can give you guys. If you actually think about what I'm saying here. What the Rambam is saying, really. Thus, a person will know of this possibility and will not be able to continue leading his, sinfully, his life sinfully and rely on the option of repentance. He says, if someone actually understands what we're saying here, he's not even going to gamble being a sinner anymore and continuing being a sinner because just because there's a chance that chas shalom he can get this punishment. And all the sins, that he says, no, no, I'll do tshuva later. I'll do tshuva when I get married. I'll do tshuva when I have kids. I'll do tshuva when I move to a new community. I'll do tshuva when I'm rich. I'll do tshuva this, I'll do tshuva that. He goes, no, you can't even think about continuing sinning once you realize that this is even an option for Hashem to use. Once you realize that a Shalom, Hashem can use this option on you, chash v'shalom. Takes away free choice, says you are gonna die a sinner. You can only lose. If you didn't have your Shemaim, now you should get it. A few sources that he uses is in Isaiah 6:10. Interestingly, this is a very famous book that a lot of the Christians love to use, especially chapter 53, I believe. But this chapter here, this verse here negates the entire Christian concept because they say that, you know, he died for our sins, everything's okay, everything's great. All all baloney. Why? You read this verse, chapter 6, verse 10. It says, makes the heart of the people fat and their ears heavy, lest they repent and be healed says that it makes people their hearts fat meaning they're overly confident their ears heavy meaning they're not listening to anybody they think they're righteous they think that's tzaddikim everything is great everything is good why is he? Why does Shem do that to them? why does He give them so much confidence? why does the tenbel think he's smart? why does the fool think he's great? because Shem decided you're not going to do tshuva you're not going to convert you're not going to do tshuva you're not going to be a tzaddik. You're going to die rasha. Why? Because you did cross the line. You crossed the line, too much. Hashem has Chesed, Hashem has love, but there's a line. Book of Kings, one, chapter eighteen, verse thirty-seven. So Elijah the prophet says about the sinners of this generation. And he says this, And you have turned their hearts backwards. Meaning, that since they voluntarily rebelled, they made sins, on, you know, voluntarily. But it wasn't like they accidentally turned on the light on Shabbat. They turned this light on Shabbat on purpose. And not only that, they invited their friends to have a barbecue at the house. Careless. Since they voluntarily rebelled, you punish them by turning their hearts away from the paths of repentance, so that would have so that they would have no choice or or will to forgo their sins, and they therefore continued in their denial of God. Lastly it says this The obedience and rebellion are in the hands of man that he has free choice. Whether you're gonna to listen to a sham, not listen to a sham, you have free choice for that. He will do so. What he will do what he desires to do, and he will not do what he does not desire to do. Unless God will punish him for the performance of a sin by negating his will. As we have explained. He says, Yes, you have free will. You could be righteous. You could be wicked. You could decide to go to knesset on Shabbat walking. You could decide to drive on Shabbat thinking you're at Tzaddik even though you're a walking Chilul Hashem or driving Chilul Hashem. You could decide to do what you want. You could decide to say, listen, I was wrong. I thought he's a motivational speaker. In reality, he's a con man missionary. I thought he was appropriate for a Keilah. In reality is the biggest tragedy that ever happened to our Keila if he comes in. I thought he would help Amisael, in reality he's putting at least 6 million Jews at risk every day if he comes here. You could be righteous and swallow your kavod and say I was wrong. I was wrong. I was simply wrong. Moshe Rabbeinu was wrong. You could be wrong. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. I was wrong a million and a half times. If I count all the times I was wrong, I probably have to write a book just about that. Okay, I was wrong. But is my pride so great, so big and so important that I'm not willing to say I was wrong and say, you know what? Let me just put six million Jews at risk. Let me just put, them, let me make this event anyway and show them that it can work out. You really want to put that on the line? You really want to put that on the line and actually put six million Jews at risk? Don't come surprised if Sharet Shuba close on you. Don't come surprised. Don't be surprised. It's things like this. The decisions between life and death It's decisions between whether we have a good future or a bad future, whether it's the Holocaust or the pogroms or the Inquisitions or the Choban Bet Amigdash, the first or the second, all of them, there was always a point, something, an event. Some say it's Kamta Bar Kamta. The Sinat Chinam between them. Everyone knows the story. One guy came to a party. He invited the wrong guy. You know, he wasn't really invited. It was supposed to be somebody else. Got disrespected. He left. No one said anything. Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Choban Whatever. The point is, there was many other things that happened. Point being, that was the straw. The, the little thing that just broke the camel's back. That's it. It was too much. That was it. That was too much. All the sins culminated, accumulated, 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 that's it, that was the end. But that was an argument. Am Yisrael decided it's a good idea to go have a couple of drinks with the Goim. We have a couple of drinks with them. So what? That they're celebrating that the Bet HaMikdash wasn't built. Chasverosh. Chasverosh is having the drinks. he's having parties for six months. You tell me I'm not going to go for six months? Let me go have a couple of drinks. It's kosher wine. Kosher wine. They go have a couple of drinks. That's it. Just a couple of drinks. No big deal. That was it. End. Hashem brought the Holocaust. He brought Haman. We're going to be celebrating Purim. Very close, very soon, next month. What was Purim about? How Hashem had mercy on us and cancel the Holocaust. Did anybody ever ask, why did the Holocaust almost happen? Was it because we brought a missionary? Was it because we started learning the New Testament? Was it because we had all types of idol worshipping? No. Not at all. We had a couple of drinks. We had a couple of drinks of kosher wine. We did Baruch we did boy play Giffen. We had a couple of drinks with the going, what's the big deal? What's the big deal of having a couple of drinks? It's a big deal, my friend. It's a very big deal. Kalva It's a big deal to bring the idol inside your bignesset. So you have to decide. You have to decide if you're able to see the nolad. See, hey, you know what? Even if there's 1% chance that I'm right. 1%, not... 100%, 1%. Are you willing to take that risk? Well, many people say a lot of different things. I spoke to Rav Kamenetsky today and yesterday. He's one of You Adol. Call him and ask him if I spoke to them, if anyone wants to verify. I also spoke to the office of Rav Kanievsky yesterday and today. And many, many other rabbis big ones, small ones, plenty. Obviously, no one disagrees. But what I heard, as soon as I started the story to Rav Kamenetsky, I said, oh, Boko Rato, oh, Bizayon. Bizayon. Bizayon is complete desecration. Because it's horrible. And I told him, listen, Kodagav, we have a problem that's bigger than I think anyone is thinking. Because Goldberg is a big rabbi, he's not a regular rabbi. He's a big rabbi, he's respected, he's honored. He knows Torah. I forgot this halacha, but he knows a lot of other Torah. This could be a tale. This could be set a precedent. Rav Kamenetsky says, I, I agree with you 100%. This has to be stopped. So at least I'm not some imaginary fanatic. You want to call me fanatic, call me whatever you want. But is Rav Kamenetsky a fanatic? Is Rav Kanievsky a fanatic? Is the Rishon and Zion Rav Yitzhak yourself a fanatic? Is Avgidon Ben Moshe a fanatic too? Call him too, ask him if I spoke. Everyone's a fanatic? Maybe it's just that everyone else sees the olad, sees the outcome of what could possibly be. What could even 1% chance be from such an event that could destroy millions of lives, not just Thousands one of the people that commented on the thread today or yesterday or a different thread that I had on uh, one of the posts we had on Facebook I think about raising money for somebody that needed some money asked me to see if I could help them raise money so I posted their uh, drive and one of the guys that posted on it says oh, you know I'm uh, really considering Christianity because they're the only ones that are helping me financially I wanted to die. I read the comment, I wanted to die. That moment. If Hashem buried me that moment, I would have said, Oh you're considering idol worship for money. But that's how weak we are. I can't fault him. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. His whole life he was told he was sick by rabbis that told us that we can't do it, and we're a weak generation, and we can't do this, and we can't do that, and we can't learn for ourselves, and we can't put the tefillin on time, and we should do it by 4 o'clock at least, and that makes it fine. Can't blame them. On top of that, the church spends over 300 million dollars a year in Israel alone to convert Jews according to some statistic I heard from one of the big Kiruv rabbis in Israel lives in Israel does Kiruv in Israel he says that they convert over 1,000 Israelis every week a week point is is we have a we're losing We're losing the battle. Already we're losing, even if we lose one Jew a year, one Jew a lifetime, to idol worship, we're already losing. We're losing thousands. I have a student, Miskin, went, got recruited by a missionary 45 years ago. 45 years ago, he was idol worshiping. And he idol worshiped for many, many years, almost 40 years. Seven, eight years ago, he woke up, started realizing there's something wrong over the last few years, both Hashem started getting much better. But we have a problem. He's married to a Goya for 45 years. You can't just divorce a Goya after 45 years. And you can't just tell her, listen, why don't you convert to f- fix my account with Hashem?" Waiting well, the missionary came to him and said, "Hey, listen, let's talk about J.C. No. You say, listen, you need some money? Let me help you out. Let me help you groceries. What do you need? Fifty bucks? It's on me. Your mortgage is not paid? It's on me. You want some motivation? It's on me. What else you want? Free books. Well, free books? I got plenty. What else you want? What does the missionary want? Your soul. That's it. Just your soul Just your soul according to Chazal someone that murders still still has a share of the world to come someone commits murder Shalo he still has he has to suffer for the sin but he still has a share of the world to come but someone that destroys a soul has no share of the world to come and goes to the worst possible place you can go Which means that one of these missionaries is even worse than Imachimovizichov Hitler. Hitler killed the body, but Baruch Hashem, Hashem is merciful, and you have all of those holy Jews in Gan Eden. We're suffering; they're in Gan Eden. They suffered in this world enough for all of us, but nonetheless, they're in Gan Eden. He killed their bodies, but one of these missionaries. They recruited one of my students 45 years ago. One of these missionaries that recruit thousand people a week. They're burning souls. And we're going to let them go into our house with the back to the Kodesh. How? How? How does this make sense? How does this make sense to anybody? All you need to do is To see the outcome of a deed. I know it's hard. I know Goldberg has a very, very big battle ahead of him because you have to be either blind or stupid to not see the point by now. Maybe you missed it in the beginning. You made a mistake. You didn't see it. You didn't know. Whatever. But by now everyone knows. Everyone knows this is it. He's a missionary. It's not allowed. That's it. It's not not a secret anymore. But now it's a different battle. A battle that's an inner battle for him. If he overcomes it, then he deserves the position. Deserves to be Av Beddin, deserves to be a big rabbi, overcomes it, cancels it on his own without being forced to cancel it by a big letter that's on the way. Cancels it first thing in the morning or even tonight before he's forced to cancel it, before there's cherem, before there's anything that gets this into an uglier stage than it already is. Then, Chazak Baruch Your kavod's a little hurt People are a little shaky But you didn't put 6 million at risk That's fine, Chazak Baruch But if you're still not willing to do it Because it came from me Who am I bechlal? Or you thought it came from Rabbi Mizrahi And you hate him Because of that You're going to put 6 million at risk Then you deserve all the punishment That Hashem is going to give you I hope he doesn't get any punishment. I hope he succeeds. His success is our success. His success is your success. His success is Amish's success. All you got to do is see the nolad. And how can you possibly fulfill this mitzvah by getting to the last stage that Rabbi Lazal says, live Tov. Have a good heart. And Rabban Yochanan says that having a good heart means all of them put together. If you have a good heart, you have a pure heart, you only care about what Hashem cares about. You only want what Hashem wants. You only do what's good for the nation. You only do what's good for your brothers. Then of course you're going to go already in a good path. Of course you're going to have a solid foundation. If you have a good heart, of course you're going to have a Ein Tovah. Every time you see one of your brothers succeed, you say, baruch. Ashrecha. Mabruk. Mazal tov. You have a new car, you have a new wife, you have a new house, you have a new job, you have a new contract, you have a new whatever. You're happy? Good. Makes me happy. That's when you have a lev tov. If you have a lev tov, of course you're going to be a haver tov. Because you're not going to be able to live with yourself knowing that your chaver, your friend, is a Michelev Shabbat. You're not going to be able to live with yourself knowing that your friend is going with Eshad Ish, going with a married woman. That's not his. And cutting himself from Olam You're not going to be able to live with yourself. You're going to tell him, I love you. That's why I tell you. If you have a good heart, Rabban Yochanan says, Of course you're going to be a good neighbor. You're not going to watch your next door neighbor go against Hashem on a regular basis and not say anything. You can say something. Directly, indirectly, give him a CD, give him a lecture, send somebody, whatever. You're going to do something. And of course if you have a good heart, it's going to be much easier for you to get siyat vishmayah and see the nolad much easier for you to have siyat vishmayah and see the outcome of actions because Hashem grants knowledge you try learning but Hashem grants knowledge you try learning your gemara but Hashem will decide what you're going to remember and what you're going to understand That's where you can read the same Daf Gemara a thousand times and still learn something new each time. A million times and still learn something new each time. Because Hashem grants knowledge. If you have a pure heart, pure intentions, Hashem will make you see things that are apparent to you, but maybe to nobody else. And you have to decide... Whether you're going to act on it or not. Do you want to be Nachshon ben Aminadav that jumped into the ocean saying, I believe in Hashem. He didn't bring us to the ocean to kill us. He just wants us to show him a little bit of emunah. I'm going into the water. He jumps into the water and Hashem splits the ocean. Why? We had some emunah. We had some emunah. All we need, my friends, there's a little bit of emunah and Hashemit Barach, and everything will be fine. Once you have that foundation, you're gonna start working on your midot. You're gonna start seeing things much clearly. You're gonna to connect to Hashemit Barach much easier. You're never gonna feel alone. You're never gonna feel hurt. You're never gonna feel anything negative because even though life is chaotic and there's only problems, but you're not gonna see it as problems. You're just going to see it as organized chaos. You're just going to see it as Hashem moving the pieces. Oh, today, this car has, is missing a fender. Next week, Hashem will put the fender back. This week, the Keilah hates each other. Next week, they're going to like each other. This week, this rabbi is about to destroy things. Tomorrow, he's going to make the right decision and say, I was wrong. It's a mistake or whatever other language you want to use, make an excuse for all I care. Say Matthew Kelly died. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference. Event canceled. We're going to replace him with a kosher rabbi. And Bezat Hashem, we all have the merit to find rabbis like that. that can make big decisions like that at difficult times, at difficult places, and Bezat Hashem help all of us do tshuva. Any questions? Y'all, Yo, with your mouth open, I'm so hoping but it that you right. like. A little personal about personal what? Personal about me? No, about this. About uh, well, we talked about this and said don't want to. No, no, no. We don't go. I'm not. Listen, I again. Personal insults about him or about anyone else. I have a book full. A book. It's not going to help anything, because it's not a personal battle. It has nothing to do with what I feel about him, what I feel about another rabbi, or anyone else. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with Am If I wanted to be a personal I would have already done a lecture a month ago. It has nothing to do with it. It doesn't make a difference. As I told you before, I don't have anything against the guy. There is a rabbi I have a problem with over there, but it's not him. It's not him. He's nice. We actually were friendly. He even invited me to his house when we first moved to the community. I have no problem. I don't agree with some of the things he did. Signing a letter against Rabbi Mizrahi. Having this horrendous Hilul Hashem of of a lecture. Having a few other lectures in the past. I don't agree with some things he did. But it's not personal. It's decisions that he made. So for me, to disclose information that I know that most people don't know. First of all, it's not allowed. Why? Because even though I have at least two witnesses to every single thing that I have... It's a uh, for what? What purpose is going to serve? I mean, it, the reality of it is that it's it will serve no purpose. Two, it'll it could you know it could destroy lives, and people take it personally, turn this battle into something that it's not. And uh, the reality of it is that for what? For, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not here to destroy lives. I'm here to save lives. You know. So uh, as far as going back and forth, hey, you're stupid. Hey, you're funny. Hey, you're ugly. Hey, well, for what? am what, my little kid. All I want is the event canceled. All anybody should want but he's an is the event canceled, huh? He's a stubborn one. Stubborn, walk Amkshalif. Walk Hopefully, he doesn't listen. I hope, hope you get the point. Put it that way. I hope they get the point. It's only gotten worse every day. I think that he's working for the mission and this bad man. Ah, as I don't want to hear it, I'll cut this part out of the lecture that's not my field I don't speculate only thing that I've talked about are facts I've talked about facts I've proven that Matthew Kelly's a missionary I've proven that it's not allowed in the Torah not I've proven it it's in, it's in the Torah I, you know, we've proven that this is even Goldberg knows this he said it himself I mean, we've proven every single point for anyone to still have this lecture is only coming and, and after seeing all of this is only coming from a bad place it's only coming either from Gava or some type of financial arrangement or whatever other bad place, which I hope is not the case. If it is, like I said before, every punishment that they get, they deserve. But if it's not, then there's no reason to have it. Just cancel the event and that's it, it's the end. It's, the, oh, it's over. They even converted a Jew a month ago. To... Yeah, yeah, they converted Jews. They, they have a lot of success, unfortunately, converting Jews because they give a lot of money away. But the point is, is that we can still cancel the event Still not too late And that's it That's it As far as my personal issues Personal this Who cares Who cares about me Who cares about my feelings Who cares about how This one guy from there That's uh, pretty much all he does He created a fake profile Calls himself I think David Rosenberg It's a fake profile And all he does all day Is insult me All day All day Just writes insulting comments Oh you're this You're this All day start learning how to block people. <laughs> what do you want to tell you? you? want to insult me? Have fun. I don't care. Just people I see that No, way. I can't. I actually specifically wrote a, wrote a comment saying I am not blocking him. Yes, I'm, I'm intentionally not blocking him. Number one, it's because his insult to helping my neshama. So it's good to get insults. Uh, two, maybe he's going to, there's still other positive comments. People are talking Torah, so maybe Be'ezot Hashem going to see enough Torah and do tshuva. And number three, there's so much foolishness coming out of his mouth or his keyboard that he's actually making our case even stronger. I think I know who it is, by the way, but it doesn't really make a difference. So whatever, he wants to insult me all day. A couple of other people want to insult me all day. Enjoy. You want to have the uh, Dana Cohen and the rest of the Reshaim that went against Rabbi Mizrahi for the last few years. They want to make, insult me. They want to take clips of my videos. I actually post their clips. They take clips of my videos and they, you know, they misword things. Like they call them a different title. So I take the eclipse out oh, it's a good clip I post it also. Yeah. why I say anything against the Torah? Yeah. if I say anything against the Torah then I deserve all the punishment I get too but I'm not I'm, not. I'm saying everything I read the book this, you see me read the book I didn't make anything I read the book I read this book I read that book I read this book that's it're making to become as a people are cutting the clip short Listen Alvai, Al they'll have the beam as a cara so they can actually do Chhua Alvay Alvai. al-vai. Listen, I don't care. I don't, I'm not here to earn enemies. I'm going to earn enemies regardless because the Satan doesn't like me as a Rabin. But uh, listen, I even had uh, somebody that uh, embarrassed me in public and uh, went on and on and on and on about a misunderstanding and continued embarrassing me in public. And really, he wanted me to apologize. Apologize to him for something I didn't really actually do. I said, okay, all he wants me to do you apologize to him. Okay, I apologize to him. Why? Because if I don't apologize to him, he's going to ruin his olam haba by continuing to go against me in public. So, okay, you want to do all you want. Your ego wants apology? Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. That's all you want? Okay, I'm sorry. S- settle you down? I'm sorry. Rabbi Goldberg. I'm sorry. Shabta, I'm sorry. Olam Abba, I'm, I'm sorry to everyone. I don't care. All I care about is Hashem. That's it. And that's what people need to understand. Is many people from the community from the community, listen, listen very carefully to this. It was worth it to come to this lecture just for this. Many people from the community reached out to me. And say to me, Chazaku Baruch, I agree with you. Yes. Good job. No one said, like, at least they didn't reach to me directly, Hey, Rasha. or I don't agree with you. Pretty much anyone that reached to me, and people I don't even know, supported it. Some did it in an alias that didn't give me their real name some gave me their real name and became friends with me on Facebook on this on that whatever good job for doing it da, 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 da. so I said okay so why don't you speak out you're in a community you're much bigger than I am I'm nobody you maybe you donate maybe you this maybe you that speak out do something no 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 I'm uh, i gonna stay behind the scenes why No, I don't want to disturb this, I don't want to disturb that, I don't want to disturb this. And I'm thinking to myself, everyone is scared of Goldberg, but no one's scared of God. Rabbis reached out to me, yes, okay, speak out, write a letter, do something. No, no, he's a big rabbi, he's cares, big rabbi, Hashem is not big. He's making a mistake, Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake. So what? You made a mistake. Cancel it. That's it. It's the end. You want to make me the Koban? Make me the Koban. Just cancel the event. Cancel the event. It doesn't make a difference what you do. Just cancel it. So we don't have 6 million Kobanot. That's what people need to understand. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with Mizrahi. It has nothing to do with anybody. It has to do with Am Yisrael. It has to do with Ratzon Hashem. You do what Hashem wants, you a blessing. You do what your ego wants. You deserve all your punishment that you're going to get. Oh, he did it on his own. He did it on his own. Thank you for coming. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about the uh, Um What's uh, his name? Rabbi Kaufman. Chaim Kaufman. Thank Um uh, rabbi Chaim Kaufman yeah, He actually uh, made a video He saw the situation He uh, decided to Throw his hat in uh, No, he's a rabbi He deals with a lot of conversions He's in Israel He's located in Israel uh, I know some of his work And uh, we have some mutual students uh, I don't know him personally I actually just met him recently uh, But he decided that He saw what was going on And uh, He has some Yachamaim And he decided to throw his hat in And uh, say something It's a uh, it's a horrendous situation It's difficult It's not going to be for easy for Anyone um, But it has to be cancelled And like I said before it's not, I'm, not, I'm not a man of threats But I could make one promise It'll only get worse if they don't It'll only get worse I said this from the beginning I'll say it again there's no reason whatsoever, there's no valid reason to have this lecture, this person, Matthew Kelly, or any missionary, or any idol worshiper in any synagogue, let alone in a synagogue that's Orthodox, or Modern Orthodox, or any Orthodox, or anything. Um, and we've proven that based on halacha, based on their own words, based on our words, based on whatever thing you want. So there's no reason. Which means that if it happens, it can only be bad, The bad bad source. You know, it's coming from a place that's tame. So if that's the case, then, you know, we'll have to use whatever measures we have to to, uh, to to stop it. Obviously nothing violent. And again, for any of the crazies that are watching this, that are thinking of anything violent, I'm specifically telling you, do not do it. That will be a big Echilu Hashem. No violence. No violence, don't beat up anybody, don't break anyone's legs. Don't slash any tires. Uh, We're not KKK. We're Am Israel. We keep Torah and Mitzvot. And we work with our mouth and with our prayers. Our mouth to study, our mouth to speak, our mouth to pray. That's it. Pretty much. That's it. That's really all. That's the uh, only thing you need. No violence. We're not a violent nation. We weren't ever. We're not going to be. So, despite what the uh, Palestinian uh, sympathizers say. Uh, So... No violence. No one be violent, no one threaten, no one anything. Key is, stop the event. Protest in a million ways. It doesn't need to be violent. We have to stop. And so it we had uh, recently uh, swastika in a the car there. Okay, swastika was in the car uh, a few days ago. Motzah Shabbat, I think. On Shabbat. Someone... So they're already getting anti-Semitism. No, anti-Semitism has always been here. Anti-Semitism in Florida, anti-Semitism in America has been here forever. It's, it just so happened that there's a uh, anti-Semitic uh, act, a hate act, uh, this past week on, on Shabbat. One of the uh, Rashaim uh, Nazis decided to put a swastika on a car and, uh, you know, scare the living you know lights out of some of the people in the community. And it's sad because... It's funny on one end that they're scared of a swastika, but you know we're not scared of Hashem enough to cancel this event. Uh, on another end, uh, where do you think it came from? They're just messengers. Hashem moves the pieces. Signs, signs. We always signs. There's always messengers. Nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. You know the Gemara uh, says there's only there's three things. No it's surprise. A person. One is finding a wallet full of money. Two, getting uh, uh, not uh, what is it? Uh, stung by a uh, scorpion. And three, Mashiach. So the question is, what are the three things have? Like, what, what's what's the connection between a wallet, a scorpion, and Mashiach? Mashiach comes. Everyone's going to be surprised. The Goyim, the Jews. Everyone's going to be surprised. Everyone. But the surprise is going to be feel like this if you're righteous you did Ritzon Hashem you destroyed your own kavod in order for to honor Hashem's kavod you'll feel like you just found a wallet exactly when you needed it full of money full of bills it doesn't belong to anyone it's yours to take it feels like a great wallet to pay the mortgage the rent and even enough money for yeshiva if you're not it's going to feel like the scorpion. problem is with the scorpion is that it kills. It's very painful and it kills. So that's what it's going to feel like. So with Hashem, most of us start preparing already now so we feel like we're finding a wallet when the Mashiach comes. And we succeed. Anything else? Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen. Amen.